Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. It's Thursday, the 6th of August. What an exciting day we have for you. No, we don't. You'll be standing at bus stops. People will be phoning up going, is there a tube strike? We'll be going, yes, we told you about the tube strike the other day. It's all day. It probably it won't get back till, uh, till tomorrow, and I shouldn't imagine it'll be back to normal immediately. Uh, so we'll have sport this morning on LBC from 5.15. Every 15 minutes, we'll make sure we get you there. But the advice is, and it's my advice, I can uh, only say to you, get up a bit earlier and set off on the journey. It's, you're going to have to do a bit of walking. You're going to have to accept the fact that a lot of the buses will be absolutely packed solid and you can't find a Boris bike for love nor money. All of that and more between now and 6.30 and the fact that Gordon the Gopher's going to make a comeback. Good grief. Of course, you know who owns Gordon the Gopher, don't you? Philip Schofield owns Gordon the Gopher. He actually owns the rights, together with Paul Smith, who used to run Children's BBC. And uh, it was the first time that the BBC made a mistake. They allowed a presenter to actually have a copyright on something that was used on the station. And so by the time Andy Crane came along, (laughs) they changed the rules. Because I think that Gordon was made, I think, by... uh, it was an aunt or a grandmother of uh, Philip's, and it was a sock. I mean, I thought he was hilarious. Seriously, I thought he was absolutely hilarious. On, on some of the things, it was just the funniest ever, just the look on his face. Paul Smith used to operate him, and I just thought it was so funny. But there again, you see, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for a glove puppet. I like glove puppets. They're, they're good. They might be bringing him back. He might be playing an adult role this time round. And, uh, and it's on the BBC, so they've obviously kind of, you know, sort of forgotten and forgiven, which is good news, I suppose. Uh, fans of Benedict Cumberbatch have been given advice how to behave. They are queuing to see him. They are desperate to see him. They are prepared to kill to see him. And so down at the Barbican, they've had to introduce... A new uh, ticket method. In other words, you can buy the tickets. Not that I'm sure you can get any at the moment. But when you come to collect them, you'll need to bring proof of identity. It's going to stop people touting. Now, I don't actually have a problem with touting. So so what if I buy a pair of tickets to go and see Benedict Cumberbatch? And then I think to myself, um, well, I can't go because I don't feel very well. And I sell them to somebody else and they go. Otherwise, you've got two empty seats sitting there. What difference does it make? doesn't make any difference at all. Uh, how to be English this morning. We'll tell you how to be English. It's all cups of tea and going to the right places. Actually, somebody, James O'Brien told me off the other day because I was talking about a place in... Uh, where is it called? Oh, it's the Albany. And it's off Piccadilly. And it's a very, very uh, old... I was going to say block of flats. I think it used to be a private house, but it's in flats. But they're very, they're very sort of select down there. They decide if they want you to live amongst them. And I forget how many flats there are. They've had a couple of disasters over the years. There was some bloke who threw himself out of a window. He was terribly depressed. And, uh, and, and so James said, uh, I said, we now know whether you're upper class or not. He said, because it's called Albany. It's not the Albany. I went, oh, right. Oh, well, that marks me down straight away. But uh, it's an interesting place. I've, I've, I've passed it almost on a, on a daily basis. Uh, from heroin and loaded guns to £51 million a year. Who are the top earners in Hollywood? You can't believe the amount of money these people are coining. It's phenomenal. And Zane dumped Perry by text. Apparently he went, you're dumped. You're dumped by text. And it, a lot of people do that. It's uh, it's the coward's way out. It's the way that you do it. If you really don't want to talk to somebody because you know they're going to moan down the phone at you, they're going to cry, they're going to do the whole business. And so you think to yourself, I'll tell you what, I'll just... I mean, I've never dumped anybody by, by text at all. Never dumped anybody. Never been out with anybody to dump. I've often wanted to go out with somebody just so you could dump them afterwards and go, I did dump somebody. And then there used to be that race, didn't there? Do you dump them faster because they might be dumping you? 
It's like Christmas presents, isn't it? You've started going out with somebody and it's November and you get to Christmas. You think, well, I don't want to spend too much money on them in case they dump me after Christmas. <laughs> and then you think, I wonder how much they're going to spend on me. And it, it becomes really awkward. In the end, it's going to be easier to finish with somebody before Christmas, start going back out with them in time for the January sales. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? That way, you know, you can get away with spending a little bit less and you end up with something that you really want. Uh, the food that you can't order in McDonald's, but you can if you know what to ask for. I'm not sure whether this story is a huge joke or, and I'm falling for it or whether or not it's actually quite serious. They've sent a reporter out from the mirror to go and find out what you can get from McDonald's and KFC and Burger King. I don't believe it. I mean, but I've, I've kind of bought into it. That's why I'm, I'm telling you about it. You might know better. Uh, dormant for 40 years. This plant in, an, in a, a greenhouse. 40 years, it does nothing. It just sits there. I know the feeling. And then, and then all of a sudden, it shoots up 30 feet in like three months or something. Or 30, whatever it is. It's absolutely unbelievable. Uh, we'll tell you how much tube drivers get, money-wise, compared to bus drivers. Dan... And Nicky, I think you might need to move from doing buses and start driving tube trains. It's far more lucrative. Far more lucrative. Uh, the stories that are running, and I've, it grieves me. I don't even want to do the story. I don't want to do the story because I think the, uh, the papers have been really kind about Cilla Black. They appear to have sort of got their act together a little bit. And now the headlines on, uh, on a few of them. Uh, because they've now seen, obviously, the autopsy report is the fact that Scylla could have been saved. I know it sounds horrendous, doesn't it? They, they say that she was lying on the patio for four hours. And uh, had they got to her quicker, they think she could have been saved. But it was the arthritis, definitely, which meant that when she stood up, she fell over. And that's when she cracked her head. And I can tell you that uh, this falling over bit, when you're young, it's fine. You can stand up, fall down, you can play dead, you can do all sorts of things. When you get a little bit older, and as many of my slightly older listeners will tell you, when you fall over, it bloody well hurts. It's, it's not a nice feeling. A friend of mine fell over and it transformed his life completely. Seriously. I mean, it, it, it just became a different person. Com a completely different person. And in Scylla's case, at 72, she fell over and um, she might have been lying there. For ages, but could she have been saved? They say she could have been, but we don't actually know. And I, I prefer to think, I don't like to think of her suffering. I said yesterday, I would like to think that, that she died almost fairly quickly. But could she have been saved? She might have been able to. What are you doing? What's going on? You got a fly in there. I found a fly in the kitchen the other day. It didn't last long. I've got spray. I've got spray. I just get like that. In fact, I went out and bought some because I do get this thing in, in the kitchen every so often. I get a wasp that gets in. So I've got the kitchen window open and this wasp, and I've got a fear about wasps. And this was a fairly big, it was like a bumblebee. What? It was like a, oh, it was like a, a I mean, this one's in the size, size of a dinner plate. Two of those that could have carried me off, I should imagine. And it came in and you know, you hear them first and then they go quiet. You think, where is it? And I've got, in my sitting room, I've got vertical blinds. Sounds vile, doesn't it? And, um, and they, they were close, but I could see the shadow of the bee, because that's what it was, on the other side of the vertical... It was actually in the room, but crawling up the back of the vertical blind. And, of course, I'm trying to watch the television, but at the same time, I'm mindful that I can see the shadow of this thing. And all of a sudden, it vanishes. And you look around thinking, it's going to land on me, it's going to land on me, it's going to come out from behind the vertical blind and it's going to kill me. Because I'm sure that if I was stung by a wasp, uh, by a wasp, uh, it's all right for wasps. Wasps can sting you as many times as they want. A bee leaves half its abdomen 
stuck to your arm and it pulsates. Because I trod on a wasp once. It was in my slipper. Yes, I've got slippers. Yes, I've reached that age. I don't have... Isn't that funny? I don't have pyjamas, but I've got slippers. What does that tell you about me? Pretty racy, eh? Pretty racy. Anyway, so... uh, And I put put my slippers on. And I remember thinking, what the dickens is that? And I went, ow! And I took my, my foot out and I trodden on this wasp. And of course, the wasp had wreaked revenge. Well, my t- it was like a Cena, a Tom and Jerry. My, my toe was pulsating. I'm, all I'm thinking is, ow, ow. And luckily, I've got a bathroom which is equipped for everything. Malaria, diphtheria, whooping cough, measles, mumps, German measles, ringworm, you know, piles. I've got everything. Every cream known to man in my bathroom. Seriously, neighbours come and knock on the door. Steve, I've got a bit of a cough. Wait there. Uh, tickly cough, chesty cough. You know, and I, I can sort it. Diabetic, non-diabetic, sugar, sugar-free. You know, which one do you want? I've got everything. They always say if you've got more than six items in your bathroom as a man, you're slightly suspect. Well, I must be more than suspect because I must have about 300. I cannot resist buying things on the internet. And the one problem I've got at the moment, and it's a problem I've had many years, because I'm fairly pale, you know, colour-wise. In fact, I am sort of one up from a milk bottle. Uh, I've got no eyebrows. So what I thought I'd do a short while ago, I thought I'd dye my eyebrows. You know, which I thought was a fairly brave thing for a man to do. I could have gone into one of these salons and had a, a girl leaning over me, jiggling a watsit in my face while she's trying to put this thing on. And I thought, no, I'll do it myself. So I bought some Dylon dye, and you mix it up, and then you sort of, you have to put, what did I put? A Trixo at the top of your eyebrow and underneath it so that the colour doesn't bleed onto your skin. I'm quite an expert at this. And I put it on there, and then, of course, you have to pray that nobody knocks on the door. Because I'm looking like a panda. Seriously, it looks awful. And then you sort of wipe it off after about 20 minutes and it's dyed your eyebrows, which is quite good. Then I discovered a short while ago this stuff which you... Um, it's like a powder, but it clings to your hair magnetically. So I tried that one. That was OK. And then I discovered another one the other day, which is like a paint, which you sort of paint on. And it comes in... I think it's brown black and something else. Anyway, so I got carried, I obviously got carried away on the Prosecco because I've got three bottles of this blooming stuff now sitting at home. And so I went to put it on this morning, but my hand moved. And then I had to sort of spend the next ten minutes trying to get it off again because it's fairly sort of permanent. They said it stays on until you don't want it on anymore. And so, as I say, I've got every trick known to man. I've got more eye cream in my bathroom than Estee Lauder have got on their counter at Peter Jones. I'll try anything. If they say this, this works and this will halt the age. I've got everything. I've got a a thing from Clinique, which is a um, it's like an eye gel, because I think eyes are you've got to be really good with your eyes. You've got to be very careful because, you know, once the skin starts going and it's very soft around your eye. That's the giveaway, isn't it? That's why I thought about having Botox. I seriously thought that maybe Botox could be. And then I didn't want to have that frightened look. I didn't want it to be, you know, as if I'm about to be knocked down by a 10-ton truck. So my bank manager threatened to close the account if I spent anything on Botox. So I thought I could take the money out weekly, go along and have it done, and then see what the effects are. And then I thought, do you really want to inject poison around your eyes? Just supposing it goes wrong. Just supposing, you know, this infects the eye and you go blind. So that's that's the thing that puts me off. I'm kind of worried. And then I watched Embarrassing Bodies. Oh, my God, the things they were telling you to do yesterday. It was really embarrassing. I sort of sat, I sort of half watch it, you know, through sort of clenched fists and fingers and everything else. Because I'm sort of secretly aware. And this was hygiene they were doing the other day. Hygiene, I ask you. And they had a, a, a lacrosse team in or something. It was a men's team. And they were checking how dirty they were. And it turned out that even after their shower, they were still pretty dirty. 
So uh, it was an indication of, you know, when, when you get in the shower, wash everything twice. It's uh, quarter past four. Steve Allen's early breakfast. It's nice to have your company. I, um, I trust you are well this morning. I feel quite good, actually. For some reason, uh, I've got this song in my head again. This, you know, let it go, let it go. I'm at one with her. And, and we were deciding that it would be great to have the powers where you could sort of just, you know, go like that. And you could sort of, and all of a sudden you could get a shower of sparks. And I was going to demonstrate it to the guys next door because they'll be really impressed by this. That You know, where you can go like that and you could sort of get things going on and you think to yourself, that's what I want to be able to do. And, uh, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. And then I sit and they go, well, that was pretty cool, wasn't it? And I was thinking that was pretty cool too. But it looks better. Sorry? There was actually a spark there, yes. There was actually a spark there. <laughs> Gone up three points in the old estimation. <laughs> anyway, uh, also the paper, I said that Gordon the Gopher was coming back. Uh, the reason he's coming back is because they want to put him back on the BBC. They're making a pilot show, and he comes back as a boozy, washed-up star. It's a comedy pilot. And I, I quite like the idea of him coming back, because I thought he was quite funny first time round. Uh, whether or not the, the time is right to bring back Gordon the Gopher, I do not know. But it's, it's worth doing, because there's nothing else on the telly, is at the moment. I noticed that the bookies have suspended betting on the Great British Bake Off contestant, because they, uh, they fear that there's a scam being cooked up by insiders. Uh, the BBC One show began its sixth series last night, with Stuart Henschel booted out first episode... It's a bit too PC for me, this, this programme, a little bit. Uh, the contestant was originally considered an outsider, but the odds were plunged after a series of big wagers were put on. And uh, the Sun, uh, many of the bets were laid in Ipswich, although the contestant is not thought to have any links with the Suffolk town. The Sun knows the identity of the favoured candidate, but has decided not to reveal their name to avoid spoiling the public's enjoyment of the show. So uh, there were some, some other ones that were waged over the years, William Hill stopped betting on Rita Ora being the new X Factor judge in June. Days Because it would be easy, wouldn't it? You'd imagine it if they sort of said, Steve Allen's going to be the new X Factor judge, but I didn't say anything. And I uh, and they then said, we want to actually save it for, uh, for sort of another time. And a friend of mine said, well, listen, why don't I go and put £10,000 on the fact that you're going to be on the X Factor? And you think, that's a brilliant idea. And then you could, I mean, it could be quite easy to fiddle it, couldn't it? You just sort of, it's called insider dealing. Ladbrook suspended bets on uh, who killed the EastEnder, Lucy Beale, after years of leaking. Flurry of wages on the new contestants entering Big Brother. William Hill again suspended the bets. Paddy Power, in 95, lost £20,000 as Maggie shot Mr Burns in the Simpsons. Simpsons 500 to 1 bet was a US tip-off. Uh, and Booker's bookies suspended bets on the Bond theme singer last month after a £15,000 punt on Radiohead. And the one thing you don't do, if anybody puts 15 grand, if you're prepared to put £15,000 on Radiohead, you must have some idea, mustn't you? You must have some idea that, you know, £15,000, you know, I don't care who you are, that's a lot of money. All right, for me, a shift, you know, but for other people, probably a, probably a year of working, I should imagine. Especially after the audience figures have gone up on LBC. I always like to see that. The 4am spike is still there. I'm delighted to report that uh, many of you are dragging your weary carcasses out of bed and, uh, and going, it's another day. It's another day with Steve Allen. Who's he going to be rude about today? And the fun thing is, I don't start the programme off thinking I'm going to be rude about somebody. I really don't. I mean, somewhere between, you know, walking from the office to here, something happens, like there's a little man inside me. Not right now, but I mean, you know, if 
you know, you were thinking about sort of being rude about somebody. I don't, I don't pre-plan to say things about people. I just go through the papers. I look at pictures of Lewis Hamilton and I think, naff. And, and I go through other people, you know, and occasionally there'll be a, a story in there. Sometimes if it's in court, you can't talk about it because it becomes subjudice and, and you really want to do it. You really want to do a story. I mean, I wanted to do a story about a, a Granable lector. This is a, a woman in, uh, I think she's, I think she's in St. Petersburg. She's Russian. I've always thought a lot of Russians are slightly peculiar. I think it's something to do with the long winters and the fact that they drink, you know. And, and I think over there, and you do get a lot of people who, who drink in Russia. I mean, I've always wanted to go, but I'd always be worried that I'd be held hostage by the mafia or something, you know. They'd ransom me back to global. And, uh, and this woman, 68 years old, she's confessed to, I think, 11, 11 murders, and she's confessed to eating them. I mean, now, there was that plane that came down. What was it called? There was a plane crash years and years ago, crashed in the Alps. Was it called Alive? I think it was called Alive, where they, people died in it, but because they were starving, they had to decide whether or not to eat human flesh. I mean, I don't, I don't really want to say. I mean, we have had cannibals over the years, haven't we? We have known about cannibalistic tribes. We have known about that. But um, I think there, was, uh, there were 45 people on this one. And it came down. Of the 27 who were alive a few days after the accident, eight were killed by an avalanche. And the survivors had little food. And they had uh, they had sort of I mean, lots of just ice and snow and everything else. So faced with starvation, they, uh, they started feeding on the, on the dead passengers who'd been preserved in the... St- I mean, I'd be sort of... I don't know. If I was sort of half alive, I would say, listen, I'm, I'm really not attractive. I'm really not. There's no point in eating me. I'm going to look ridiculous. And I, I mean, there is. I mean, obviously, the biggest people would be eaten first, wouldn't they? Not going to be eating anybody with no flesh on their bones. You know, so if you're a fairly hefty person, you know, like I would probably be the first one who'd be sort of cut up and, and fried. But I'm not sure. Could you actually eat human flesh? You eat animal. Is there, is there any difference? I don't know. I do think it's somewhat peculiar. I remember watching that film. Was it Silence of the Lambs? Hello, Clary. And I used to, and he never scared me at all. I just thought he was a funny man with a little mask on. It didn't, I never, I, I thought it was the least scary film I've ever seen. I've seen more scary films. Friday the 13th, I thought was really scary. I'm, I'm, I'm not big on horror movies. I don't, I don't, I don't want to intentionally be scared. And, uh, and certain films do scare me. I never understand why people want to go and see them. You know, the woman in black on stage. They, they, I mean, I've been and I've seen the woman in black, it's scary, as a stage show goes, because it doesn't take much. If you're sitting watching something very quietly and somebody goes, and it's, that frightens the life out of you. I walked into the newsroom this morning, and, and Lindsay nearly fell off the chair. I thought, because I was looking particularly attractive. And, um, and she said, oh, I didn't expect you. I thought, well, I'm in every time this morning, you know, over, over the last you know, few years I've been coming in at this time. And uh, it's because it was so quiet out there and nobody had been through there that all of a sudden, and I'm, I'm not exactly the most clod-opping person you're ever going to hear. I'm, I'm fairly quiet. You know, I sort of walk around there, then I go, morning! And that generally frightens people a little bit. Uh, so, are we upset at a shop selling gollies? Apparently, it is not illegal to sell gollies. And this one is in Leon C in Essex. Uh, they sell... They sell everything. Golly dolls, golly magnets, golly key rings, golly everything. Strangely enough, they also have teapots, toast racks, pens, everything. The souvenir shop sells these controversial dolls in several sizes up to £16.99. Locals says they're, uh, they are disgusted 
by it and accused it of damaging the town's reputation. Well, let me just sort of put my cards on the table. If nobody wants to buy this stuff, the shop will be forced to close. If this shop is still selling in six months' time, quite clearly there must be a market for this kind of thing. It's, I mean, you know, some people are saying it's damaged the town's reputation. One pensioner says, we don't want to be tarnished with such a horrid imagery. But then somebody makes... I mean, where do they make this stuff? I don't know. China, I suppose. Southend Council have said um, gollies are not illegal. The toys were popular until the 70s, but then were increasingly seen as offensive. The Crown Prosecution Service have said that they would only get involved if the sale of the gollies caused harassment or alarm. Shop owner Lynn Tate says, every now and then I get a complaint, but the majority love the nostalgia. I, I have a golly. I think he's locked away in, in sort of a packing case somewhere. But it was made for me years and years ago. It was of that generation. I don't think I'd want to actually... Uh, I don't think I'd actually want to go and buy one now. I can't really see the point of that. But uh, listen, if it works for her, it works for her. And if she gets complaints, she'll get complaints. But most people just see it as a toy from the childhood, I thought. Could be wrong. Could be wrong. You might have to tell me on that one. 84850, steve at uk. Why was I not blessed with a thin body? Every day I was talking to my bank manager yesterday and we both agreed that if there was a tablet that you could take... Uh, no, actually, it was Chris Gold who does the travel. And we were both agreeing that if there was a tablet you could take to make you as slim as Michael, say, next door, you know, if you wanted to be as slim as Michael, then that would be, you know, the, if you wanted to change your name to Tom, that would be OK. That would be equally OK. You call yourself what you want. Call yourself Beryl, as far as I'm concerned. But if you wanted to be slim, some people are naturally... You don't want to be Beryl, I know. It's a silly name, isn't it? Christine's much more you. But, you know, you like the idea of being slim. But if you're slightly larger, and I am a slightly larger person, I, don't, I will not deny to you that I'm absolutely comfortable with this. I would like to take a little tablet, wake up in the morning, and then... And the weight's gone. And there was, years ago, talk of a sleep clinic in Switzerland, where you went there, they put you to sleep so you didn't eat for about a month, then you woke up and you were lighter. And I kept thinking, that's a brilliant idea, but where does, where does it go to? It doesn't go to anywhere. You'd have to cut it all off. Because if you're going to lose weight, you've got to do the exercise. And it's the exercise bit that, frankly, bores the senses out of me. I couldn't do exercise if my life depended on it. I, could, I did the stairs this morning. Bit of an effort there, it has to be said. And I did it yesterday, because we had uh, our guest in... Uh, for In Conversation, John Sim, who was fabulous, I have to tell you. And uh, I walked up the stairs second time, and I was knackered. I was so... T- they all looked at me and went, you all right? I went, just walked up two flights of stairs. Obviously, I'm uh, not as fit as I thought I was, but I'm fit enough to tell you that it's tube strike day. Get up early, get out there, because there will be queues for the buses, there'll be queues for the bikes, roller skate, do whatever you like, but you will beat the strike. We've done it before, we can do it today. It's 4.30. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning. Oh, nearly had a bit of indigestion then. Just a little bit, because I had a slurp of coffee. I was talking to Beryl, and I was just sort of, just about to explain things. It's all going on round here this morning, I tell you. The more coffee I have, the more bizarre I become, I've discovered. I did do tea. Do you know, I've not done tea for ages. And somebody said to me, you shouldn't drink this much coffee, because I think I'm drinking too much coffee. I think there is a limit to what you should have. So I'm having... So when I wake up in the morning, big cup of coffee. Big. I've got a big cup at home, like like the big cups that we've got in the studio. And it's like... I think it's probably about the equivalent of two cups of coffee, I think. So I quite like that. So that gets me a bit wired up at home. I'm like... Like that. And so climbing in the shower is a, is a little bit of a nightmare sometimes. You climb in there, you go... Like that. And... Because uh, I've got a seat in the shower. Because I watched Embarrassing Bodies. And they had a woman on there. She had something the matter with her toe. 
And so six months prior to that, they'd sort of, they'd removed her toenail, which sounds awful, doesn't it? And, and then they bandaged it up. What had she not done? She hadn't changed the bandage in six months. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. And so she was on this. Of course, now, being diabetic, I look after my feet. So I'm very good. I've also got a big scrubbing brush. It's like a, a long-handled thing for doing your back and stuff like that. And that's quite nice, actually. That is quite... I quite like that. I've got, I've got things in the shower that, you know, can keep me very happy. I've got a mitten. Have you ever had a, a mitten in the shower, which is sort of like a flannel but sewn round, so you put your hand in the middle? And I tell you, that's so much better than a flannel, but flannels are my, my big thing. Flannels and towels. I can buy flannels and towels, you know, to fill up a small hotel, because I absolutely love it. And that's the thing that gets me going in the morning, is the shower. I tell you what I want. Do you remember the film Back to the Future? Do you remember the hoverboard, which Marty had? Like that. Japanese have invented one. It hovers a few inches off the ground based on magnets and um, something else. I don't know, magnets and something else. And, uh, and they can hover on it. I thought, what a brilliant idea. What a brilliant idea. Now, there's a little thing. I, wouldn't, I want one of those other things, which has got the two wheels and you stand up on it. Is that a Segway? But um, they're quite expensive, aren't they? Are they more than £1,000? That, right. I always fancy one of those, because when we were in Los Angeles, down on the beach, loads of people had them, and I thought, that looks quite fun, and I thought, that perhaps I'd fall off it. People say, no, you don't fall off it, it's because it's got this, this stabiliser colour, anyway, whatever it is. And I thought I'd try it, but I haven't been brave enough. Then I thought I'd buy a bicycle. This is in my sort of valiant attempt to get fit and look a bit more like Beryl. But it's, you know, it's obviously not going to happen, is it, too much? I'm going to need to be going to the gym for about the next five years. <laughs> I can see a court case here. I could see a court case. I quite like the idea. And um, and so I thought, I'll buy a bicycle. And then, so I looked at bicycles, and then I, so I sat on one. I look ridiculous. Some people just don't look good on bicycles. I look stupid on a bicycle. I don't know why. So it's like, it's like baseball caps. I actually look great in a baseball cap. I really do. I, so I, I used to buy loads and loads of baseball caps. People were always disappointed when I took it off, only to discover I didn't have much hair. But I sort of, I thought to myself, oh, no, wait a minute, I was talking about coffee, wasn't I? Oh, yeah, so coffee. So I had the coffee in the morning. So I have the one there. Then I come into work. Then I have one here. Big cup of coffee. Then I have another one when I start the programme. And I'll get another one at five o'clock. And I'll probably get one at six. Which is... So we're up to about four, aren't we? Yeah, four, five. And then when I go home, I will have a triple shot cappuccino. But I don't have it with... uh, I have it extra, extra dry. So I don't have much milk because I'm not not big into milk. So I just have the foam. It's a double shot anyway of the coffee. And then I get an extra shot put in there. So that's three. And that will just about do me for the day. So that's five. It's about eight shots. of. I think that's too much, you know. I think eight shots of coffee is a lot, isn't it? It's too much. I bought water in today. I bought water in. I'm I'm trying to drink a lot of water. But all that does is make you want to go to the toilet. And frankly, when you're doing a programme like this, it's all right for... I mean, I, the other day I sat here, the sweat poured off me. At about quarter to six, quarter to five last week, all of a sudden I had this overwhelming urge to go to the loo. I mean, bursting to go to the loo. And if you're a diabetic and you need to go to the loo, believe me, you need to go to the loo. You get to that stage where you go, oh, hold it in, hold it... Oh, God. Hold it in, hold... Oh, crikey, I'm not holding it in very well. And it did get to that stage. I had 15 minutes of sweating in here, and I couldn't wait for it to get to the news at five o'clock, because unlike any other radio station, where they just go, and here's another ten-minute track from Mantovani or something, you know, and here's Joe Lawson's orchestra, I have to talk, 
and there's no way out of it. I cannot get out. I mean, I suppose if I dropped dead, they'd think of something to put on, the emergency tape, which would be me. So you get me to me, which would be quite nice. But I had, and twice I've had this, I've now had to get into a routine of going to the loo before I start the programme, because I'm drinking the coffee... And, you know, you've got to do an hour and you've got to keep it entertaining for the hour, which is, you know, fairly, it's not too too complicated. But it's this going to the loo bit. And I had it again over the weekend. I had another session over the weekend where I thought, I've seriously got to go to the loo. In fact, at one point, and do you remember years and years ago? Well, you won't remember, but here is a story from the archives of LBC. When we were in Gough Square... We had Nicholas Parsons being a guest presenter. Nicholas Parsons came in to do the presenting of the Nightline programme. And the uh, producer at the time was a, was a fairly tough producer. Uh, but he was very good. And he said to Nicholas Parsons, right, this is what you do. I'll carry you through this. We, you know, we just open up the phone lines. These are the topics, blah, 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 blah. And it was fine. And Nicholas Parsons sat there and he would have been probably then, he might have been 60-something. And he got halfway through the programme and he wanted to go to the loo. And he said to the producer... I need to go to the toilet. And the producer said, well, you can't go till the, till the hour is up. And Nicholas Parsons said, no, I need to go to the toilet. And uh, I know this to be true, this story. Nicholas Parsons moved the, uh, the dustbin underneath himself and weed in the dustbin and the studio. <laughs> and everybody was talking about it at LBC the next day. They were all going, did you hear about Nicholas Parsons and the weeing in the bin? It's only because he couldn't get to the toilet and there was no way you could get out. And I seriously thought about that this week. Seriously, when, when you sit here and you sort of think, I really need to go to the toilet, you try not to think about it. But you're surrounded by images of people drinking. I've got a bottle of water here. It's like somebody sitting there, if you really want to go to the loo. We used to do it at school. I don't know if you used it. We were quite cruel at school. We, we used to sort of hang around outside the toilets. If we saw somebody going in, well, not deliberately, if you saw somebody going in there, you used to hold them to the ground and tickle them. Because that always kind of worked. <laughs> you could always tell as a little damp patch spread across their trousers that they, they were not... Ha- we were very young, admittedly. We were only about 10 or 11. But uh, I, used to, I used to dread it happening to me, just in case, because I knew I hate being tickled. I've got this thing about being... Some people are not ticklish. Some people are really good. And, and you could say, oh, tickle, tickle, tickle. You know, you do it to kids. Tickle, tickle, tickle. And they go, like that. And you go, tickle, tickle, tickle again. And then they wet themselves. And uh, t- yeah, that's what kids are like. Did you? <laughs> you didn't see. You did see Paul Zerdin with his, uh, with his vent doll baby. Did you see that the other day? It's, it's, on, um, it's on YouTube. He's on America's Got Talent. And uh, uh, the baby, uh, the baby, goes, and he picks it up. He's a very good vent, very, very good vent. And at one point, the, he, he tries to teach the baby the word ventriloquist. Vent, vent, trill, trill, quist, ventriloquist, ventricly. And so it does, it goes all the way through. And then eventually the baby says to him, duck. Is it, sorry, duck. He goes, what do you mean, duck? And at that moment, the baby leans backwards and a little spray of wee comes out. The audience collapses, the judges collapse. And, uh, and it reminded me of that for some reason. Anyway, moving on from that this morning. So I'm hoping not to do, as they say, a Nicholas Parsons in the business and hoping that uh, we can find some stories in the papers. So don't forget, at 5.15 this morning, we will be having... Uh, travel every 15 minutes on LBC every 15 minutes there will be travel and so we'll get you through but you've done it before it's not like it's anything new Uh, you will manage it it will be fine but just bearing in mind that the buses are going to be busy everywhere is going to be busy and you're going to have an awful lot of people out there all trying to do the same as you trying to get to work some people will walk 
from uh, from their stations because the overground trains are working. Uh, the taxis will be very busy this morning. Everybody will be making an absolute killing on it. People love it. But uh, the roads will be busy. A lot of people will be driving in, but there will be those people who... And you will see people who will be standing at the bus stops. I guarantee you, by at least 7, 8 o'clock this morning, there's going to be queues a mile long. You can get tips on how to beat the strike. It's on our website, of course, lbc.co.uk. Martin of Crystal Palace says, regarding the toilet difficulties, you can buy appliances like that. Yes, I mean, I had heard, actually... (laughs) <laughs> I had heard. In fact, there was one for a car. Uh, that that was a, a fairly difficult one to, to operate because it's, it's probably easier for women to do it than it is for men. Stephen Milne, who has probably just finished uh, working, says, uh, I learnt the hard way years ago not to have too much coffee before going on air. Wasn't pretty. <laughs> I just absolutely love it. I, I mean, it's, the trouble is everybody's got tricks, haven't they? Somebody said to me, don't drink milk if you're a broadcaster. And I said, why not drink milk? They said, because it, it, um, it does something to your, the inside of your mouth. I can't remember, it doesn't make it dry. It makes it something, you, you produce a lot more saliva and it sounds like you're gargling with water. So there are lots of tricks, aren't there, if, you, if you're sort of going on the radio or going on the television. It's like somebody said to me once, do you not um, sort of worry about... Uh, about losing your voice. Do you not do anything special? You know, do you gargle? Do you sort of missed it? I said, no, I never think about that at all. And yet, if you think about it, opera singers and people on stage, they always have a warm-up. In fact, every West End musical that I'm aware of in the West End, uh, come Monday, when they're all back after the weekend, they have a vocal warm-up. We don't have a vocal warm-up here. I've never done a vocal warm-up. You know, la, la, la. It helps if you talk to people beforehand. I couldn't just... I can always tell somebody who's just literally walked in and they've gone straight on air. You can, I can hear it in their voice. It's like a, you need the voice to warm up a little bit. And so I'm always quite good because I'm up early in the morning. I've had at least an hour's vocalising, which sort of gets me through it, which is much better. But you don't do anything like that. And yet I remember going in Michael Crawford's uh, dressing room when he was doing Phantom of the Opera down at Her Majesty's and he had uh, one of these misters in there to keep the air moist. If you've got central heating at home, you need to get a mister. I've got one in the, in the bedroom. It's a little tiny portable thing and you put a bottle of water in it. It just takes a little bottle of water and and it's fantastic. It's fantastic. And it just blows out mist and it turns itself off at the end of it. And it keeps the air moist. So if you're sleeping, you don't want very dry air, especially in winter when you put the central heating on. You want moist air. So there's our handy hint for today. All these things. But Stephen will know all about that. Was it uh, we were doing another roulette where we last night? And um, another one here uh, says that the plane crashed in the Andes. South America. That was Philip who told me it was South America. And uh, another one here. This is uh, O'Dale says, time to sit and chill to the Steve Allen show. It is funny. When you look at I, I always tend to think that if you listen to this programme, for goodness sake, do not look at the clock. Because I'm, I'm not remotely interested in, in the time. I know this morning I will have to, you know, tell you the time because people will be panicking over it. So that's it. And then um, somebody else uh, wrote in and uh, says... Um, does a car pick you up and take you to LBC every day? Yes. Every single day. Yes, it's one of the privileges of working at this time in the morning. Yes. I'm not the only one. There's loads of people who get to get cars in. But I get a car in and uh, I get myself home. I, I, uh, getting home, I use a bus, as Nikki will tell you, and, uh, and Lenny. 
And and I discovered another another bloke at Waterloo Station who's a listener to the programme. I can't remember his name, though, which doesn't help. He's hilarious. He blows the whistle to get the trains off. Uh, we've got Brian at Twickenham Station, and you get all sorts of people. So that you can almost track my movements back through London uh, by the train station that I've arrived at. But I saw Lenny yesterday. I've not seen him for ages at Waterloo. Uh, so I do take public transport. I do drive as well. I do have a motor vehicle. But uh, it's quite nice being picked up in the morning. The re- I, don't, I can't quite work out what the reason is why we get picked up in the morning. I don't, there must be some reason for it. Because there's no tubes. I mean, I, I, we don't have the tube where I am. We've only got overground trains. So, but, I, I get, but I've been picked up for years. No matter what, what show I've done on LBC, I've always had a driver to bring me in. Perhaps it's the luxury, I don't know. Caffeine uh, is a very powerful diuretic, says uh, Ian. Yes, I should imagine it is, actually. I should imagine it is. And uh, what did I have here? Oh, um, Christopher Gold says, I'm on my way. Panic not. Ha ha. He says, my first bulletin is at uh, five. Fifteen. Then bulletins every f- 15 minutes all day. I shall be powered by Watsits, he says. Powered by Watsits. Actually, you might be today. And my friend Jez says... Big up the spikers. Yes, he's he's uh, one of my spikers. <laughs> one of many. Uh, on the programme. And uh, Ian says, I had my left big toe nail removed after years of ingrowing nails. I couldn't wait to see the after-surgery results after a few days, let alone six months. Ian in Dulwich says, I could send you my spare commode. <laughs> Thank you. And... Um, and somebody, according to the British Heart Foundation, coffee's very bad for the heart. And Graham in Bradford says they sell golly badges on the seafront in Scarborough, like the Robinson's Jam ones. Well, they're actually collectible, aren't they now? Faye in Essex says, I have a golly. It was my dad's. And when he died a couple of years ago, it was the only thing I wanted because it reminds me of him. But I wouldn't go and buy one. There you go. It's quarter to five. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. Nice to have you company. 30... No, it's not. It's 12 minutes to uh, to 5 o'clock. Um, to behave or not to behave, the fans of Benedict Cumberbatch. He's doing Hamlet. Uh, this week, John Sim will be joining me for In Conversation. What a nice man. What a nice, nice man. He's. He, I don't think he's. he likes doing interviews, really. I, I get the impression that he'd, he'd be a lot happier not to do interviews. But we had a good chat because we had a lot in common with the Beatles... And uh, we talked about theatre, we talked about Doctor Who, we talked about his kids, we talked about just about everything. Just about everything. He's, uh, he's down at the National, at the Littleton Theatre, I think until October. You should get down and see him. Very good guy, very, very good guy. And you can hear him this week on In Conversation. Uh, together with... Who else is doing it today? I can't remember who's doing it this weekend. But uh, it'll be good, actually. Uh, regarding what you were saying about not having a problem with touts, that's fine. But what you described isn't touting. Touts buy tickets, having never had any intention of attending the event. Touts these days are buying up rows upon rows of seats purely to sell at inflated prices. Totally immoral. Well, I mean, I, I've seen touting for a long time. So I mean, I've been around long enough in the West End to know where all the touts are. And I always think that if you want to go to a particular show... And uh, my even uh, a friend of mine has touted tickets because they actually couldn't go to an event and they stood outside trying to sell the tickets. And they did get more than they actually paid for them. But some of them go for inflated prices. A lot of the tickets the touts are selling uh, either restricted view. They, what, what they've done is they bought cheap tickets for something, hoping that they can then resell them again. But what the Barbican are going to do is they're going to stop these tickets getting onto the market. You know, people can buy them, but you make sure that they're stuck with them. Once the piece has started, the touts tickets are worthless. You could offer them a pound each. 
And they'll probably go, no, mate. There used to be a very famous tout years ago. Very famous tout. And he could get tickets to anything. And when I say anything, he could get you the Wimbledon final. He could get you the Queen's Garden party. He could get you anything. There was a, there was a price to pay. And he came in. Big bloke he was. And he was so nice. I can't remember what his name was. It'll come to me later. But he was like king of the touts. Uh, but he was getting tickets for everything. And they would go for thousands. You know, so if you were sort of, you know, a foreign multimillionaire coming over and you go, I'd, I'd love to have a ticket for the Queen's Garden Party, you say, I can get you one. It might cost you £15,000, but I can get you one. That every, everything is available at a price. There is no such thing in London as a sold-out show. I promise you there is no such thing as a sold-out show. There is a show that's done very well. The reason they're never sold out is, can you imagine... The royal family phone up and they go, we'd like to come and see Benedict Cumberbatch tonight. And they're going to say, I'm terribly sorry, it's sold out. No, it wouldn't happen. They would contact Benedict Cumberbatch and they would say, uh, Benedict, uh, Prince Charles would like to come or Prince Harry would like to come and see the performance. Yes, that's fine. Because Benedict, I should imagine, would be given, like most stars, uh, seats which he can then sell himself. They will give him... Michael Crawford used to have so many seats for Phantom of the Opera. So if I wanted to go and see Phantom of the Opera, I would contact uh, Michael and he'd say, wait a minute, I'll put you on. And he put me on to his uh, PA and she'd say, when do you want to come, Steve? I'd go, can I come tomorrow night? Yep, that's two. And I would go round to the side door at the theatre, give her the money for the seats. I'd pay for them. I wasn't expecting comps. Pay for them. And then I had really good seats. Michael had row D. He had row row D at the theatre. Because remember I told you that I went to, to pick up tickets one night and, uh, and Michael said, have you got a tie? And I said, um, I said, uh, Stan Flashman was the tout. Barbara Windsor. Birthday girl today, Barbara Windsor. I wonder what Scott has bought her. What do you buy for the woman who has everything? What do you buy for the woman who has everything? Stan Flashman. It was. Big bloke, Scott. Big bloke. And he was the man who got all these tickets. But I, when I went to pick up the tickets from Crawford and he said, have you got a tie on? I said, no. He said, you need to put a tie on. So I said, so he lent me a tie. So I put this tie, it didn't go with the shirt at all. It looked ridiculous. And I go round there and we're all in the theatre and the row in front of us was empty. There were about six seats. And all of a sudden, we st- who was coming in? Queen Mother. Queen Mother, with her entourage, went to see Phantom of the Opera. And all I smelled as she walked past me was mothballs. All I could smell was moth. And it's the abiding smell that has stuck with me over these years. And it was all blue chiffon, and it was sort of lovely. And, of course, the worst thing was, because she wasn't blessed with height, when, at the end of the show, everybody stood up to do a standing ovation for Michael, who always came down separately. You know, Sarah, Sarah Brightman would come down and do her bit, and then Michael would come down... And he would take his uh, bow. And everybody stood up. The Queen Mother was a bit stuck. She didn't really know what to do, whether to stand up, sit down or do whatever. But uh, you always remember those things. But uh, no, Barbara celebrates her birthday today. God, you're up early. Mr. Barbara, aren't you? You're up very early. Look at this. Seven minutes to five. He always, if, if he wakes up early, he's probably having a cup of tea and a piece of toast. And decide, I hope you've bought her flowers or something. Hope you bought her flowers today. And uh, I'm sure that Barbara will have a fantastic day today as she celebrates the birthday. And I'm far too polite to even mention age. I shan't do age at all. Uh, also, this morning, uh, got up early to do some shopping at Amazon. So, so, is it cheaper in the morning? Loads of offers and bargains. I don't know. The prices varied on Amazon, do they? I have to be honest. I do actually... Um, I do actually like things like that. No, you can't get it for that. I wish you could, but you can't, of course. And uh, so the police have arrested Katie Hopkins. No, they haven't. Don't tell lies. She'll sue you. 
Uh, they have not arrested her. They've talked to her. She's not been arrested or charged with anything. You must be very careful about libel. I only do that to protect you because I've got you in print now and I've got your email address. I've got everything here. I can uh, pass this on to the police immediately. Or I could pass it on to my friend Katie. I'm sure would be absolutely delighted to take you to court. So be very careful. If ever you commit yourself, you know that we take people to court. We don't, we don't mess. Uh, such clinics did exist, says Bill. This is the, the sleep, the weight loss clinic I was talking about earlier on. The reason I mentioned it is it, is it featured in a book called Valley of the Dolls, which was the story of Neely O'Hara. And I suppose it was a girly book, but I read it because Jacqueline Suzanne, who wrote Valley of the Dolls, the dolls were the uh, amphetamines. They called them dolls and the amphetamines that got her awake, asleep, doing everything else. And Neely O'Hara, who was a singer in the book, it's a great book, it's very old now. Jacqueline Suzanne died of cancer years and years ago and she wrote quite a number of, uh, quite a number of good books, including one about uh, a little poodle that she had. I think the book was called Josephine. And then she did another one as well, which was based on um, Jackie Kennedy. It wasn't Jackie Kennedy, but it was the wife of a president who uh, the president got assassinated. And it was loosely based on that. Very interesting book. But The Valley of the Dolls was very good. Neely O'Hara, and she went to Switzerland for the sleep cure, as she said. And then the the woman said, Madame wakes up a month later and you are now one stone lighter. But I don't see how it can work. Because if, if I didn't eat for a month, I'm just going to look a bit, you know, where's all the flesh going to go? It's going to stay there. It just hasn't got the fat behind it. So I'm not totally convinced totally convinced that anything like that would ever work it's like all these things isn't it you know the diet things that people say you know if you if you lose too much weight stop taking the tablets and i always think you know i just don't believe it where do they think it's going to and people are so desperate to lose weight there was a woman in the paper today and uh, she's featured on a television program i always love these sort of programs because they actually sort of make a program about uh, a woman who is very very big very very big indeed and uh, she gets picked on, she says, at the school gates by the other mums because she's so fat. I'm too fat to do the school run, she says. And she's on a programme called Supersize No Fatties Allowed. She's 26 stone. Her name is Sarah Rout, but she can afford to have her tattoos done and she's got them on her legs, upper arms and everything else. She says, I've had a lot of trouble. She's only 29. She's only 29. And she says, people call me fatty. Uh, an unfit mother. Sometimes people just pass in the cars and shout, look at that fat cow. You see, I don't believe that. I do not believe that anybody would ever do things like that. They might think it, but also, if you part, nobody's ever going to do that, unless you're hanging around in the wrong neighbourhood. And uh, so she, she then puts her up on a television programme. She's been told, if you don't slim down, you're going to be dead. So that is kind of the wake-up call. She says, I'm umming and ahhing about it because I'm happy being me and I don't want to change. But it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't kind of work like that, dear. It really doesn't. I'm sure you're very happy being you. I'm very happy being me. But if, but if my doctor said to me, listen, you need to lose... I mean, at the moment, luckily, I'm... I was going to say reasonably healthy, as healthy as you can be with diabetes and a heart complaint. But, I mean, you know, that's, that's as far as I'm concerned. It's actually quite healthy. I've seen younger people than me looking quite ill. Quite ill. And uh, it's the wake-up call. If my doctor says to me, listen, you've, you've got to stop eating this, that or that, and you've got to lose a stone by next year, otherwise, you know, you're going to be dead, well, then I would have to heed that advice. But so far, touch wood, and there isn't any in here at all, um, you know, they haven't said that to me. But that's the wake-up call, isn't it? But don't go on a television programme. I mean, really, that just makes you look as though you're just vain. I find that uh, really, really difficult. I'm having a birthday on Saturday the 8th, says Karen. I'm going to be 50. I'm in shock. 
I can't believe I'm actually going to be that age. I feel so young. <laughs> I think 50 is young. Isn't 50 the new sort of 80 or something like that? Or 80 is the new 50? I know people, uh, you know, who are, who are over 80 now. And they might not be in the best, best of health, but their mind is still very, very alert. Very, very alert. Right, what are we going to do? We shall, we shall go through more of the papers. I'll take some more of your uh, texts and emails. Little Julie says, waited a day for your rain and yesterday it poured. What's the forecast for the rest of the week? Would you like me to tell you what the weather, the weather is for the rest of the week? You might as well know now. Dull to start today. Typical, isn't it? Tube strike day. And uh, brighter later with some sunshine. And so cloudy. Tonight, dry, fine evening. Cloud clearing. Got a cooler night to come. And then Friday. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, it doesn't say what it is, actually. Friday is a, a sunny start. Some cloud developing. Looks to stay largely dry. So it, it's not too bad. Did it rain very much like yesterday? Did it? Oh, did it? Oh, right. Last night, did it? It must have been after I went to bed then, because when I woke up this morning, there was no rain at all, except I had a disaster this morning. I always have, I use a bag, which I've got on a hook in the kitchen, like a, you know, um, you know, bag for life kind of thing, and I use it to put rubbish in. So I put all my rubbish in it yesterday, meaning to take it out this morning, which I do. I went, I went uh, into the kitchen this morning. The bag was so heavy, it had broken the handle. And it was all over the floor. And it was, oh, it was peas and rice and all. Oh, God, it was a nightmare. So I'm there hoovering. You can imagine, can't you? Ten past one in the morning with a blasted vacuum cleaner, cleaner on. Not so good. Uh, more from the papers, more of your texts and uh, emails. My friend Giles Brandreth has very kindly sent me a copy of his book called Wordplay. He's a very clever man. And he signed it to me as well. He said, for my friend, which is nice. It's a super book. It's been serialised in the, in the papers already. It's called Word, Wordplay. It's a cornucopia of puns, anagrams and other curiosities of the English language. And uh, on that subject, we'll tell you how to be... English a little bit later on. One of the papers giving you a rundown. Tube Strike Day. 15 minutes. Our first coverage of the Tube Strike will be commencing with Chris Gold in the travel department. And we'll make sure. The advice is, though, just allow yourself extra time. And then you won't get stressed. Then you won't have to stand at a bus stop with hundreds of other people. It will be fine. So uh, up, I think, now. Shower. And uh, we look forward to your company for the rest of the day on LBC as we celebrate record figures. There's always something to celebrate, and I think record figures is definitely something to celebrate. News at Five is next. I'm Steve Allen. It's Early Breakfast. On Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. It's nice to have your company. It's four minutes past five. It's Thursday, the 6th of August, and it's Barbara Windsor's birthday. Many, many happy returns of the day. Uh, the bookies suspend betting on the Great British Bake Off. I think a bit of insider trading going on. Three million pound alarm as the charity closes. Shopping at Aldi may only save you about a five or a month. Zane dumped Perry by text. And sex rat sports star gags the sun. <laughs> That's a complicated one. And from heroin and loaded guns to £51 million a year. These Hollywood stars are raking it in. How to stop the migrant madness. More people go online by phone than laptop. And uh, LBC's travel service will get you to work today. And we've got more stories in the, uh, in the papers as well. I quite like the sex rat sports star gags the sun. This is a story of a top sportsman who's gagged the son to stop them revealing how he cheated on his wife-to-be with a female celebrity. The female celebrity is the one who wants him exposed. Now, I have no idea who it is. I wouldn't even hazard a guess, because I'm rubbish with sport and anything like that. Um, They say this, this person appears on adverts on the television. 
They're very good at doing these things. It's like little teasers, isn't it? And uh, the full story runs in The Sun today on pages four and five. He had a, a sexual relationship. He didn't want to be caught out. But uh, the other person wants to put the record straight. The wife of this sportsman, who now knows the truth, and the uh, female celebrity has had many affairs. See, that kind of, for me, that when they say a female celebrity who's had many affairs, I always think to myself, this one sounds like a bit of, you know, doesn't, you know, who's had many affairs. That makes somebody sound like a bit of a floozy. Is that a little bit of a flu- Somebody who's had many affairs. Who could it be? I mean, somebody who obviously, I mean, do they sell stories, this person? That's what I always like to find out. I always think men are a bit daft when it comes to things like this. You know, some, some sort of floozy type will sort of go hello you're very sexy and people fall for it they've had a few drinks we had that story in the sun the other day do you remember i still think that one's got legs i think it's got legs that's what we uh, call in the business you know a story that could run a bit this is a top celebrity in this country who had a fling while he was on a, a lad's golfing holiday in um spain and he's married he has, uh, they say, one of the, you know, the best marriages in the business. No hint of anything like that. And uh, this girl got given money. Now, whether or not it was it was hush money, we don't know. But it was like £15,000. I mean, that's a serious amount of money. Anyway, she's, uh, she's seeking legal advice with a lawyer. And this person, we are told, is on television. They're very, very well known. They're very rich. And so we were all trying to work out who it could possibly be. And you all came up with various names. Only one person got it right. That'll now upset loads of people because you're all sort of going, who is it? Who is it? And of course, I can't tell you because we have to wait and see how the uh, how the story pans out. Uh, Edward Heath again in the newspapers, again in the newspapers. This time he's linked with the King Cornet bloke. This was a bloke who ran a series of ice cream vans. And uh, he abused 32 boys during a 40-year reign of terror. He died in 1999, later exposed by police as a serial predator with links to senior Tories. And there is a picture of him with Edward Heath. Now, I mean, there are pictures of loads of people with Edward Heath. You know, to to find one person after all this time. And also a picture of King Cornet with Jimmy Savile. Now, whether or not... There is some sort of link. I mean, all these people are dead. Nobody's saying anything while they're alive. They're saying it when they're when they're dead. Uh, meanwhile, this woman who ran a brothel in Salisbury denies threatening to expose Edward Heath and has no knowledge of misconduct on his part. She said this is uh, this is really really embarrassing. Uh, there were also as many as nine other members. They reckon of the Savile Giaconelli pedo ring. Giaconelli is the Ice cream man, the King Cornet man. It's, I mean, it's just, it's, it's almost, it just seems unbelievable, doesn't it? That it seems to be across the whole country. I thought it was just, you know, first of all, Jimmy Savile. And then it turned out to be Rolf Harris. And then we had Stuart Hall. And then we had uh, uh, Max Clifford. And there's been loads of people. And you think to yourself, I mean, and there's also a few other people in, uh, in court. I mean, some of it just comes down to, to touching somebody. Which I think, to be honest with you, I mean, you know, if if it was just touching somebody, which went on all the time. I mean, I'm not the most affectionate person in the world. In fact, I'm probably the least affectionate person. I kind of, you know, people go to put their arms around me and I go, woo. I kind of sound like E.T. I kind of sort of woo backwards a little bit. But uh, I know some people are terribly tactile, terribly tactile. And, you know, and that's what it is. That's what's getting people into trouble when it goes a little bit further. So that's what we have to uh, try and examine with Edward Heath. Uh, all of his... 
uh, backers. There was a very good man on LBC yesterday on Lisa Aziz's programme. And he was saying, you know, when this 12-year-old lad, who is now, I believe, 65, claimed that he was taken to a flat off Park Lane, he said, Edward Heath didn't have a flat off Park Lane. He had a flat in Petit France, nowhere near Park Lane. And, uh, and he can't have gone to this flat with this boy because he'd have been under, you know, is this prior to Parliament? Is this prior to any of that kind of stuff? I don't know. But he, he said he was out of the country for most of these years, that they, they were sort of claiming these things were going on. He said, and when he was here, he had people who monitored him. So why did they not say anything about it? Uh, here she is, uh, Zane and Perry. No contact since... Uh, this text he invites girl to pad battle over the house. They've then just moved into a house. Do you remember? They moved into what was laughingly called by one of the papers a uh, a mansion. It was a very very dull house, and so now they get her going out there. Luckily, there's a photographer there to capture the moment that Perry Edwards looks down at the ground like mm, what was going on, you know. But we knew he cheated, and he's out in the club. He's having a whale of a time. He's having a whale of a time. He was partying out there with uh, with girls and everything else. I mean, obviously, quite clearly, as I say, rubbing her nose in it and making her look even more stupid than she did first time round. I don't understand why people would do this to somebody. But uh, they had sort of all sorts of people. Even Kelly Brooks' ex-boyfriend, Tom, was there. And uh, Zayn Malik, who... I just want to be an ordinary little 22-year-old. Yeah, of course you do, darling. Of course you do. Of course you do. Whether or not it's going to work, I've got no idea. The alarm over this uh, this charity, which has closed. This is Kids Company. It's very odd. This story is really odd. I'm seriously... I mean, this woman appeared to charm everybody. And, uh, you know, David Cameron had repeatedly overturned Department of Education decisions not to give the charity money. And yesterday, the woman called the closure devastating. Uh, it said the charity provided support to 36,000 vulnerable kids. But I mean, how much is this is fact and how much is not fact? I mean, that's what we don't, that's what I need unravelling for me. Because it was only a short while ago that they got three million pounds. That was last week. Three minutes, we want it back. If this charity is closed, we want it back. There was an 800,000 pound wages bill. The Labour has called for a full report into its government funding. I would also be calling for a full report. There's too much of this kind of thing going on. And for somebody to hand over £3 million to a charity that is slightly suspect, and they were helping 36,000 children. Is that how many they'd helped, or that's how many they're currently helping? If you read it here, the charity provided support to 36,000 vulnerable kids in London, Bristol and Liverpool. How much hands-on was she? I, don't, I mean, I don't know. Was she economical with the truth? Is there sort of something going on here that we should know about Kids Company? I don't know. I really don't know. I'm none the wiser having uh, read it. Uh, Cilla Black makes all the papers say, I don't know if they brought her back home just yet, but I suspect that by this weekend, uh, Cilla will be back and the boys will then start, uh, start preparing uh, for what will be a funeral. I'm assuming they'll have it out at Denham, which is where... Uh, Bobby's funeral was, and I think Bobby's buried out at Denham, and I think that's where she will probably go to. Uh, Steve uh, says this one here. Noreen on Phantom says, most fantastic experience was seeing Phantom with Michael Crawford front row Los Angeles at the theatre the Oscars were at. Uh, Good figures from Paul Easton. Was it? I didn't understand the thumbs up question mark, thumbs up question mark bit. And uh, Anori says, watch Bake Off. We'll have to think who the winner they're backing is. You see, I don't watch it. I know loads of people are addicted. 
I tell you who is addicted to it. James O'Brien's producer, Michael. He loves Bake Off. I can't... I don't know why. It just never gripped me. I'm not interested. I'm, I'm put off by Mel Gidroyd. If she's on a programme, I switch off. I don't know why. It's just one of these odd things, isn't it, really? Uh, 848450, Steve at lbc.co.uk. James O'Brien mentions me all the time on his programme. And... Um, and he mentioned you were not at the best of your health due to working nights. Yes, you know what this is. This is the story that says that if you work nights, um, that if you work nights, apparently it gives you diabetes. And of course, it's ironic that I am a diabetic and I do work nights. So there you go. Uh, uh, Warren thinks that uh, Scylla's home. He thinks, uh, thinks the funeral will be a family affair. There will be a memorial. Yes, I mean, I should imagine everybody's going to want to go to it. Everybody in show business, aren't they? I would think so. At, uh, that's what I'm hoping so, anyway. Uh, Steve, your loo problem could be solved with a radio mic. That's a good idea. Yes, I could just sort of, sorry, uh, I, I could just take the uh, the radio mic and then go to the loo. Mind you, there was somebody like that. There was That was a, a story from years ago from a presenter on the BBC who had dashed to the loo in between. She was doing a morning news programme. Very famous person. And um, she left her radio mic on when she went to the loo. And uh, and it was broadcast to everybody. Everybody could hear. <laughs> yes, James O'Brien mentioning me too often at the moment. I know it's terribly embarrassing, Warren. I don't know what we can do about it. It's an obsession, borderline obsession. Seriously, I'm I'm thinking of having extra security put on the home because it's it's borderline stalking, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, in the Chibi Showbiz column today, I quite like the idea of Steve Jones says there's no way he'd present the UK X Factor. He was dumped from America. If had actually every program, Steve Jones uh, doesn't appear to be doing very well on. He was he he came. I think from Channel 4, I seem to remember. And uh, so he's, uh, he, says the st- he says there's no way he would replace Dermot O'Dreary in the UK version. I don't think they'd be ever asking you. Actually, Dermot O'Dreary is going to be presenting on television, which I find slightly disturbing because he's not a great presenter. What's he going to be presenting? Really odd. He signed up to present Channel 4's documentary, The Last of the Few, and a special tribute event, Heroes Fly Again. Dear God, I mean, isn't he the most inappropriate person? Can't they find somebody who knows about things like that? This is Battle of Britain, and they've, they've dragged in Dermot O'Dreary. Can't understand it. He'd be the last person I'd be, uh, I'd be thinking of. And uh, what else was there here? Oh, yes, there's um, uh, lots of people talking about Gordon the Gopher coming back to television, which I think sounds hilarious. Quarter past five. Uh, everybody telling me, even Wordy the Post, Stan Flashman, Steve, very famous tout. But Barbara's husband, Scott, got there before anybody else. Uh, Tony made a veil. Lovely. Thank you very much indeed for the advice on uh, on uh, not drinking too much coffee. Mark in Dewsbury says, I have a visual impairment. I had incredibly painful dry spots on the eyes at my regular hospital visit. They advised me to cut out caffeine. Two weeks of not being able to stay awake later. Eyes cured. 100% caffeine free now. And I all round, I feel so much better. Oh, it is. I mean, it, it is an addiction. I, mean, I could live without coffee. I seriously could. If somebody said to me, you can't drink coffee anymore, it wouldn't, it wouldn't bother me. I'm not addicted to it. Uh, well, I don't think I am anyway. <laughs> it might be wrong. Tracy says, I heard you can be hypnotised into thinking you've had a gastric band fitted, which isn't a bad idea. No, that's a good idea. I like that. Stan Flashman owned Barnet FC. He used to sack Barry Fry every other week and threaten the players when they lost. A true legend, says Stephen in Crystal Palace. Robert in Edinburgh says, uh, well done on the audience figures. How do you know how many new listeners you have? I don't know, but there's some process that they can work out exactly how many it is. So uh, we still have the 4am spike in the morning. We're miles away from everybody else. And Bevin Hornchurch is in Turtle Beach in Turkey, where it's gorgeous. 
but I'm still listening to you every morning. It's what we like to hear. I don't like to think, you know, even when you go away, you can listen to this programme. And the reason you can listen is because you can download the LBC app. If you go to lbc.co.uk, there is an app on the website. You download that for free. It doesn't cost a penny piece. And uh, then you can uh, listen to LBC wherever you go. So it doesn't really matter, you know, whether you're in Australia, Canada, Ireland, uh, America. You can listen to LBC. And that's why we have uh, the audience that we have. Uh, Thomas says, people don't shout at fatties. You should meet some of my passengers. It is odd, isn't it, really? I can't see anybody who is actually going to be sort of uh, shouting at somebody, as, as this woman claims, down the street. I mean, I've, nobody's ever driven past me and gone, oi, fatty. Nobody's ever done that. I don't think people... Why would you do it? But i tell you what I saw yesterday. I was in Marks and Spencers, as you know. Now, you know they have the most useless store detective. I mean, he is, he is possibly the dumbest person I think I've ever seen who is laughingly called security. He talks to the bottles. He sings to the bottles. He couldn't stop a shoplifter if their life depended on it. And I proved it yesterday because I was, uh, I was uh, having my, uh, my groceries put through and... I saw two blokes walk in, and they're, they're obviously working locally. And the reason you knew they were working locally is because they're, they're builders. They had a pair of shorts on, and I remember thinking, they're local builders. And they walked in, they picked up sandwiches, and they picked up pasta, and they walked straight out of the front door. They bypassed the tills completely. Because I said to the friend of mine who was doing my shopping, I said, they've just walked out. They've just shoplifted all that stuff. One of them had a big bowl of pasta, which is done in there. The other had got sandwiches. They both got sandwiches and things like that. And they just picked it up and walked out, because I thought, they can't have been through the till, because A, they're, they're not it's not in a bag, and B, there's a queue for the till, and they've only just walked in. They walked in while I was being served at the till. So I knew they, they were shoplifting. And, uh, and and you think to yourself, now, what do you do? Do you go up to the so-called store detective in Marks and Spencers in Twickenham and go, are you the most idiotic man I've ever seen? Or are you just useless? Because these people are shoplifting. They must do it every single day. I can't see them ever standing there paying for it when they've discovered you can just pick it up and walk out. Although I should imagine it carries a, he- a hefty fine if they get nicked. And, uh, and then they have to go to court and then they've got a police record. So I'm going to watch today. I'm going to see if they go in there again today. And then I'm going to find out where they're working. I'm going to be Secret Squirrel today. <laughs> a charity wage bill? A charity becoming insolvent? What's the line that divides a charity from a business? Charity is business. That's what it is. That's what it is. A charity is a business. So in other words, for, the, for them to raise all this money, they've got to have office staff and they've got a, a bill of £800,000. To be honest with you, I think something something's not quite right here and I think they're about to uncover a hornet's nest. M25 closed clockwise... Uh, at the M3 van on its side, says Paul. I should get uh, Chris to check that one out for us. Thank you very much indeed. And uh, they've opened the Suez Canal, haven't they? £6 billion. Did you see it? Wow. Looked amazing. I'd love to go down the Suez Canal. I really would, actually. That would that would kind of make my day. I would like something like that. And uh, weight loss, says Eddie. You could always bring back Tenuate Dospan. You probably, you know, you can probably go and buy it in other countries. Just can't get it here because it's been taken off. And uh, I'm just seeing the picture. There are no radio microphones. All the mics and the headphone cables are trailing along the corridor. And James O'Brien, party and commented, "Oh, Steve's going to the toilet again." Says Brian. Yes. No. I mean, there used to be a program on the television. I think it was called Night Caller. He used to walk around the studio with his microphone on. And he had one of those headsets, and it was a headset that had a microphone 
attached to it. And so he could walk, and, but it didn't appear to be connected by any cable. I didn't quite understand how the programme worked, but it uh, seemed to keep people uh, busy and it was very popular. So the hoverboard is a reality. Looking for a Christmas present for me? This would be the one that you'd be buying me, the hoverboard. It was uh, featured in Back to the Future Part 2. And uh, this one now uh, is worked by superconductors, which act as electromagnets, which make a magnetic field that repel the magnets in the track, overcoming gravity and allowing a person to float at a consistent height. So, in other words, you can only go along a piece of track. So, it's not exactly like Marty, who did it in the film. I mean, that was great. I'd love to see how they actually did it. It was probably suspended on wires or something. But it was very good. I mean, this uh, technology is used in Japan. It's maglev, I think. It's called maglev. Magnetic speed levitation. And it's on the trains, which have reached speeds of 370 miles an hour. And it just hovers above the truck. 370 miles an hour. God, it makes me look as I'm just walking. Uh, unfortunately, it's just a prototype. It could be some years before it goes on sale. Also, it's only got a piece of track. What's the point of that? Seems a bit dull, doesn't it? Uh, the Prime Minister mesmerised by the charity that ate up £37 million of public cash. I mean, you begin to wonder whether or not... This is just, you know, something that is so awful that uh, we're uncovering a huge can of worms. But there's a piece in the mail today that said she was the genius for seducing the rich. And she says nearly a decade has passed since I first met her. She was holding a meeting with a dozen businessmen and I watched astounded as she dazzled them with a lecture about her theories, concerned emotional developments and violent behaviour in young people. When she excused herself to take a call from one of the children in her care, they all shook their heads in admiration. Here was a woman I decided with a genius for convincing wealthy people that helping vulnerable youngsters was not only a noble thing to do, but it was very fashionable. Because of that particular talent, the charity Camilla founded in 1996 is a peculiar mixture of glamour and deprivation. It's where the great and the good, the wealthy and the powerful, right up to Prime Minister himself, felt they could do their bit for the poor and the dispossessed. And yet, uh, here it is now, it's closed. And it's eaten up £37 million of public money. Just how genuine was it? Just how genuine was it? Will we ever find out? I don't know. The funding ban that sent Alan Yentob into a fury. The staff numbers rose fourfold in seven years. And uh, did it actually do anything? She says, I got the impression, this is Harriet Sargent, that the young, largely black youths in the background were merely accessories to the image that donors sought to project. They used Kids Company to promote themselves, and Camilla exploited that need. So politicians, turn over page, um, won voters. Music fans were impressed. Journalists gained awards. And she has had it. I mean, there's, there's no doubt that uh, many of the kids' company staff do a hero heroic job. Now it seems those staff and those youngsters will have to look elsewhere after Camilla shut down the charity last night. Is this the action of a woman with her heart in the right place or one who cannot face a future out of the limelight? She loved the limelight. She loved the limelight. As anybody will tell you, she was, uh, an, uh, she was, uh, she was addicted to it. Absolutely addicted to it. She loved it. Mind you, you never missed her. You couldn't miss her anywhere because of the... She came from Iran. I wasn't aware that they wore this sort of stuff in Iran. It's obviously changed a bit since my day. But uh, here she is. Now, whether or not we're going to get the £3 million back, I don't know. But there's certainly something that's not quite right with this, uh, with this charity. Anyway, as you know, today is Tube Strike Day. So every 15 minutes, LBC will have the travel with Chris. Uh, and I'll tell you just after the news uh, why all the bus drivers who listen to this programme need to get themselves a job as a tube driver. OK, tube driving a lot easier. 
Must be a lot easier because you don't have to do anything apart from hold your hand on the handle. Uh, on the bus, you've got to concentrate. You've got to pull into the stand. You've got to open the doors. Somebody goes, beep, 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 beep. No, you've got no credit on your card. Oh, God, you have to cope with it. If you're a tube driver, you don't have any of these kind of things at all. So we'll look at the difference between the bus driver's pay and a tube driver's pay. It's now 5.30. Steve Allen on LBC. Poor old Paul Cooper, he's stuck on the motorway for 45 minutes so far. This is, I think, on the... Uh, I'll get Chris to check this one out for us. This is on the M25 uh, junction with the M3. Can we check on, on how that's uh, how that's doing at the moment? I know we'll have travel every 15 minutes. And Paul says, thank, thank goodness for Steve Allen. Oh, God, how frustrating. How frustrating. He's obviously he's on his way back from market, and he needs to get the uh, the fruit out there. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. So, tube strike day. Every 15 minutes on uh, LBC, we shall make sure that we've got uh, all the travel for you. Make sure we get there. The idea is leave earlier. You know, if you don't normally leave till 7, perhaps this morning leave at 6. You know, just to make... I don't want you to get to work and you'd be so sort of fed up. But uh, how do they compare? How do they compare? The lucky ones who drive the underground trains. Uh, Basic pay for a bus driver is between 25 and £31,000. That's what they say. Twenty-five to thirty-one thousand. <clears throat> Basic pay for a tube driver: forty-nine thousand seven hundred and sixty-three pounds. I think bus drivers need to move over quickly. Weekly hours on the bus: forty to sixty on the tube: thirty-six. Shift patterns uh, for the tube driver: two days off in seven. Uh, for the bus driver: flexible roster, but some work thirteen out of fourteen days. Annual holidays on the tube: forty-three days. Over on the buses, 22 to 27. Salary during training for a bus driver, about 13 grand. If you're a tube driver, £24,133. That compares with a soldier, 18 grand, a firefighter, 22, a nurse, 22, and a police officer, 24. I mean, it's amazing, really. Uh, and uh, assaults by members of the public on a tube driver, rare. Rare. There were 3,719 attacks on all London underground staff between 2011 and 2014. Um, on average, five drivers are attacked every day on the buses. That's how, that's how bad it is out there. That's how bad it is out there. 49,763, and the poor old bus driver up to about 31, and then you can get overtime and stuff like that. But the basic pay, 49,000. Small wonder they want to go on strike and get more money. They're really on Poverty Street, aren't they? Absolutely. It's ridiculous. But uh, the RMT leader, Mick Cash, says it's not about money. It's about being able to plan for and enjoy some downtime with families and family away from work. But since when did, did that come in? You know, I'm, I'm, my boss doesn't employ me and I go, well, I think I need to spend more time with my brother and his, uh, his girlfriend. Again. They don't do that. Listen, if you want to do this job, this is what the hours are. This is what you're paid for it. You know, why not do it that way? And it, on the tube, they sort of, it's for more family time. What happens if you got, haven't got a family? What do you do? Sit there doing knitting and twiddling your thumbs and staring out the window. It's not bad, is it? 50 grand a year just to sit there with your hand on a handle. You know, I think bus drivers have got far more things to worry about driving in London. I mean, it's a, you're never going to get holed up, are you, on the underground? You're never going to go, oh, there's a hell of a traffic jam down here. Terrible down here. Not going to get anything like that at all. 84850, uh, steve at uh, George says, I don't think TfL are recruiting tube drivers. There are no vacancies, but the future is driverless anyway. Trains like the Docklands Light Railway, that should shut them up. He thinks they're greedy. 
He thinks they're great. What, £49,000? It's not bad, is it? Not bad money. You wouldn't, you wouldn't sniff at that, ladies and gentlemen. Well, I certainly wouldn't. Uh, 84850. Somebody says, how much do you earn, Steve? Well, that's between me and uh, me and the management. I wouldn't discuss that, but I'm not a, not a public body, am I? I'm a private individual. How much do you earn? You know, you can never ask people how much they earn, because every single person on this station uh, earns different money. And you're just impertinent and rude. Never tell people that. What a stupid question to ask, honestly. Uh, Jim the Bin says, yes, the M25 closed between Junction 12 and 13. Um, Seen it on my way to work, says Jim. M25 shut Junction 13, van on its side. Uh, And that's the the truckers this morning who are coming back to me, which is good. Uh, I worked for a company says Ian, that supply Tenuate. Company uh, bought over 1997 by another company, discontinued worldwide, along with another brand of uh, leading uh, antihistamine. Interesting, isn't it? Because it was here, this was the, um, this was the, uh, the wonder drug to help people lose weight. It was a form of amphetamine. That's, uh, that's all it was, and it helped people lose weight. Although, to be honest with you, it didn't. The only way to lose weight is to eat little and often and do exercise. Simple as that. It, it doesn't get any more simple. I can't make it any more exciting. Uh, there's a billionaire who's opened fire at the RSPB's bid to protect birds of prey with a crackdown on grouse moors. And um, this is the outspoken hedge fund manager, Crispin Odie. And uh, he's an old Harrovian... And he's a shooting enthusiast. He's turned both barrels onto everybody from David Cameron to his own father over the years, attacking the charity's call to introduce the licensing of grouse moors. The RSPB believe that introducing the measures would prevent gamekeepers from killing hen harriers. Uh, Mr Odie, said to be worth £1.1 billion and who once spent £120,000 on a chicken coop, dubbed Cluckingham Palace, at his country mansion, said, it's a bit of a class war. It's Jeremy Corbyn. It's not about the birds. Revealing himself to be a backer of You Forgot the Birds, a campaign group led by former cricketer Sir Ian Botham, which has accused the RSPB of misleading donors over how it spends its money. So the charity is now locked in this battle with who they saw as the enemy, which was strangely the shooting community, he claimed, and said this faction was completely obsessed with the idea that uh, raptors, such as the hen harrier, are what brings the money in, so they defend raptors at all costs. Anyway, there he is. It's always nice when people sort of do go outspoken. It's also quite nice when people send in baby pictures of their children with an awful lot of hair, and some of them look like they're wearing wigs. I mean, I promise you they do. Some of them do look like they are wearing wigs. Some of them, their hair has been deliberately fluffed up. I mean, there's somebody here, Eddie Taylor from, uh, from Red Hill in Surrey. Never seen anything like it. And there's one which, <laughs> Lola from Belfast, I mean, it looks like somebody stuck a bad toupee on her head. They've all got these funny things. You have to laugh, actually, I suppose. Where is the happiest town in the UK? Apparently it's Harrogate. That's nice, isn't it? It's been named the happiest place for the third year running. Uh, locals were most satisfied when it came to ranking everything from the town's appearance to its amenities. The North Yorkshire Spa Town is renowned for healing mineral waters. And, of course, it's got Betty's, the famous tea room. I must go to Betty's of Harrogate. I don't want to miss out at all. And uh, who else here? I think there was also uh, London Boroughs generally uh, scored poorly, coming bottom of the list for upkeep. But Kensington and Chelsea was rated top for amenities, in part due, I suppose, to the V&A and the Natural History Museum. 
Average house prices in Harrogate, £284,000. I love it when they do the house price programme. I love it. They go round these houses, they go, how much do you think this is worth? And I think, well, I don't know, 300000 They go, this is 160000 And I think, God, we must be ripped off in London. Who are the highest earning actors? You won't believe it. This is what they earned in a year. A year. This is a yearly salary. Uh, after being tipped for stardom... Robert Downey Jr. spent the late 90s and early uh, 2000s addicted to drugs and reduced to earning eight cents an hour scrubbing pizza pans in the kitchen of the L.A. County Jail during regular stints in prison. So it's all the more remarkable that the 50-year-old was yesterday named the best-paid male actor for the third year running, raking in £50 million. £51.2 million he raked in last year. Jackie Chan... I didn't even know Jackie Chan was still alive. But Jackie Chan raked in 32 million. Vin Diesel, 30 million. Gets better. Tom Cruise, uh, 25.6 million. Adam Sandler, 26.2 million. Uh, Amita Bachchan, 21.4 million. He is possibly the highest paid uh, Bollywood film star. He is possibly the man who has been in more Bollywood films than anybody else, apart from Lata Mangeshka. And uh, Amita Bachchan is uh, is considered a god, I think, and so that's good money there. Uh, Ashke Kumar, 20.8 million. And when you think they live in India, 20.8 million goes a long way. Mark Wahlberg, 20.5 million. Johnny Depp, 19.2 million. And then further down the list, Daniel Craig, 17.3 million. And Leonardo DiCaprio, 18.5 million. This is just for last year. But Robert Downey Jr., 51.2 million. And if he's earned that and he's been consistently over, he must have an absolute fortune. What do these people spend their money on? I'd love to know. I would absolutely love to know what they... You know, when you've got, that, when you've got 51 million coming in every year, you could buy a really super house, couldn't you? A really super house and just sort of end up, you know... Pfft, could just do all sorts of nice things with it. How lovely. My G's worth it, I suppose. And great show. Myself and the controller at the bus garage watching the uh, protesters. We don't understand the problem. It's dark down there, say Rob and John. <laughs> don't want to go down there at all, do you? Very dark. Mind you, 50 grand a year. I think that would be, uh, be quite good. Uh, 84850, uk. Another one here as we read everything out on the programme. Not moving on the M25, going towards the Dartford crossing as well, Steve. And Kevin says, working 36 hours a week and 43 days off, how much more quality time do the tube drivers want? Well, um, obviously quite a bit. Obviously quite a bit. They, they, they need quite a, bit of, uh, quite a bit of time off. I suppose because, I suppose the argument could be that it's uh, a little bit stressful, couldn't you? And uh, another one here. This is quite funny. Says, want to dig at tube drivers? Bruv. Bruv. Honestly, bruv. You want, to, you want to read the papers? It's in the paper this morning. The tube drivers. I quite like it, actually, when sort of somebody disagrees, because you know damn well if somebody disagrees, it's, uh, it's true all the way through. And, uh, and somebody says, it's all about you. It's called The Steve Allen Show. What do you think, Chris? I mean, obviously, you're not the most intelligent person in the world, but you know, that's why it's called The Steve Allen Show. It's not called anybody else's show. If it was called somebody else's show, then you'd get somebody else's opinion. That uh, now you get um, you get my opinion. You get it every morning, and with the increase in the audience figures, woohoo! We are happy. Forty years on, Rod and the Faces are rocking again. God, they're not going to get back together, surely? I mean, in the in the seventies, the Faces were known for their drinking and partying. And when you look at the pictures, my God, do they look young? 
Do they look young? Now, 40 years after, the uh, alcohol intake is down. They're all married. Nevertheless, the survivors from the band are hoping they can kick up a storm on stage. Rod Stewart is joining uh, Ronnie Wood and Kenny Jones. Uh, Rod is 70, Ronnie Wood is 68, and Kenny Jones is 66. Blimey. I mean, where have, where have the decades gone? Uh, they reckon Rod Stewart is worth about 150 million because he hasn't stopped releasing albums. Uh, he's got eight children by five different women. And he's been married to Penny since 2007, so he's done quite well there. Ronnie Wood is worth an estimated £35 million. Much of that accumulated, I think, after the move to the Stones. He's married to uh, his third wife, Sally Humphreys. Uh, second wife, Joe, divorced him after he had an affair with a cocktail waitress. He's had a long battle with booze. And Kenny Jones, his fortune's put at about £12 million, which is not bad. He replaced Keith Moon in The Who after Moon died of that drugs overdose. He's got six children, four with his wife, Jane... Uh, Andrew, a former model, diagnosed with prostate cancer in 2013. Rod Stewart, he needs to have that 150 million quid. They'll be fighting over it after he's gone. Quarter to six. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. 12 minutes to uh, six. We'll have travel every 15 minutes this morning. Get you through the tube strike. The idea is leave home early. And uh, not much sympathy for the tube drivers. Chaz says £50,000 for tube drivers... And the rest. This is the feature in the uh, the mail today on how much tube drivers earn compared to what a bus driver earns and the hours and how they compare. Uh, Chaz says they also get a third of their salary paid into their pension scheme. Two free Oyster cards. What's well, worth it? All, all for all the work you have to do, which covers all zones and access to a discounted private health scheme. Uh, tot it up. Add a bit of overtime to the short working week, and you're looking at a package of about eighty grand. Blimey! I wonder what you never see jobs advertised, do you? I've never seen a tube driver's job advertised. I mean, is it is it is it a bit of a cartel they're operating? Are they keeping it sort of secret so any certain people can do it? So they only re- recruit from the unions, do they? Oh right, how bizarre! Yes, I've often wondered about that. Mind you, you never see jobs for presenters advertised, do you? I've never. I've ne- well, you do in in some of the internal magazines and some of the uh, some of the trade things and some of the uh, the websites which deal with radio. But generally speaking, you'd never find so you know looking for early morning presenter on LBC. You know, if you can top his figures, then you know you it's worth a try. But you never see that. But it's by the same token, I see adverts for bus drivers everywhere. Everywhere bus drivers. Although, to be honest with you, I know a number of people who are bus drivers. And um, I should imagine the... I mean, I'd be so tempted. I'd be so tempted to just sort of sit in the bus. You look at the person at the bus stop and you think, I'm not stopping for you. And you just sail straight past. <laughs> I would like to do that. <laughs> Makes me a cruel person, but I'll have to be cruel, I think. Uh, 84850... And uh, Phil says, on the LBC News, it said there'd be 250 extra buses put on today to major routes. What do these buses do when there isn't a tube strike? Well, they sit there and chat away and sort of watch, you know, Thomas the Tank Engine and stuff like that. They're generally quite happy. Uh, there is a big there is a big bus garage. It, it's just that what they do is they bring out everything they've got. So if they can put on extra buses, they'll put them on. They'll put them on the routes which they think are going to be busier. They'll use old ones. They'll use all sorts of things. The whole idea is to get as many people moving in the capital. That's why I've said it's no good sitting there at home thinking, oh, I, I leave at 6.30, I'll leave at 6.30 this morning. Don't, because it'll be completely different. I guarantee you, by the time I leave, um, I should imagine there'll be people queuing at bus stops because they'll want to get there. Coming into town will be all right. It's getting them out of the mainline stations and getting them moving, which will be the big problem. So uh, my advice is... Leave early. Leave early. So much easier. Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Everything we read out on the programme, we don't miss 
anything. We don't miss anything. Uh, on the uh, the tube drivers, somebody says they're having their cake and eating it. I'm a self-employed builder at the mercy of the weather. Um, another one here, which says, uh, oh, the M25 is all now open. And Steve, can you explain to your listeners that when they see staff standing outside the stations today, not to give them dirty looks and glare at them, these staff members are not on strike and have gone into work. They just can't open because there aren't any drivers. So would there be people going into work then going, I'm sorry, we want to go in because we want to get paid today, but we're nothing to do with the strike. Because it's the drivers, isn't it? Is it the drivers who are striking? I'm assuming that's the people who run the trains. And uh, to all the people moaning, says Stephen, how much train drivers earn, stop moaning and become one of them. Tired of hearing from people who've never worked in the industry, commenting on things they know nothing about. Well, it's in the papers. It's documented. It's well documented, Stephen. I mean, what are you saying you earn? 20, 25 grand a year? 25? 84850, uh, Do you know the one thing that you're not buying nowadays, and I'm not surprised because there's been more of these closing in recent years, card shops. Card shops. We used to have th- two card shops in Twickenham. Three, three card shops. We had a Clinton's, we had a card factory, and then there was another one gone. Both of them gone. You know why? People text and they send Facebook. So if I want to send uh, birthday messages to somebody, I am more than likely to go onto the email and pick up uh, one of those nice animated birthday cards, which I can write myself and send it to somebody and they've got it to keep. And these uh, Jackie Wopsit cards are excellent. They're absolutely excellent. And so that's what uh, that's what I like. That's what I like. And so the idea of actually going out, I object to buying a birthday card. You know why? And I do have, because I do send Christmas cards, I do have a box at home full of cards for all occasions. You know, it's probably got about 40, 50 cards in it. Because sometimes if I go out and I find a card shop, I'll buy a load of cards that I quite like the look of. And they're just generally blank. They're blank inside. You can put your own message, which always works a treat. But I do like to send animated cards on the internet. Because otherwise, you, you buy a card and it costs you something like, I don't know, 30... No, I was going to say 30 pence. How much is an average card now? £1.60 would be an average birthday card. And then people get the card. You send it. Then you've got to put the stamp on it. So that's taken the price up. You send it to them. And then they open it up and they go, oh, look, birthday card from Steve Allen. And they put it on the shelf. And then a week later, they take it down. And you think, but that's you know, the best part of two and a half quid gone there. Whereas if you send something on the internet, they can keep it or they can, they can get rid of it. And I do like to check out all the animated cards because there's loads of things that you can get. I mean, really loads and loads of things, which is uh, which I think is fantastic. I think it's absolutely fantastic that you can send animated cards easier. Uh, Steve, so the tube is paid by the taxpayer, but to get a £50,000 tube driver job involves only nepotism. Tube driver cartel. My advice, don't leave early. Stay at home. <laughs> Thanks to LBC, Tony... Um, a cabin crew, manages to make check-in by avoiding the M3 this morning. Yes. And there's a fleet of old route masters heading into London down the A13. You see, it's what they'll do. And, uh, and it's, it's good. A lot of people complaining about, you know, the tube drivers. They don't need to worry about the weather. I don't think it comes down to the weather. It's whether or not the union are going to get them this, uh, this time off so they can spend more time with the family. Bus drivers get a really rough end of the pineapple, don't they? Poor soul. Uh, Steve, did you see Noel Edmonds uh, set the uh, Twitterverse on fire yesterday? Something he said about not dying. Yes, uh, Noel's got different views on, on a lot of things compared to most people. Um, he thinks there are all sorts of strange things that are going on out there. He's always thought that. I think he thought that he got the job on Deal or No Deal because there was something. Didn't he say he had two lights on his shoulders or something? There was something coming down. And he said that's what got him the job. Although at the moment, 
They haven't decided on Channel 4 whether they're going to run with Deal or No Deal again. It's in, it's in the offing at the moment. I think it does OK. I think it does OK in the ratings, but they're looking, they're looking probably at either something new or, you know, or, or they're, they're going to run with it. But they've left it a bit late. They're leaving it out until the wire, I think, on this one. Uh, Caroline says, I've just spotted a wasp's nest, so I ran past it rather quickly. They're huge, aren't they? Very unusual. It must have been up somewhere fairly high. That's what you get with, uh, with wasp's nest. You get them. You call somebody in. You just go onto the internet. You can find somebody local. For about £27, they can, um, they can get rid of the wasp nest. Uh, Steve, uh, the tube drivers are well paid because they also do the job of a railway guard, which I believe includes the handling of, uh, of detonators, says Mark. Do they, they don't have guards on... Well, then wait a minute, they do have guards on trains. On the underground train, they do. They have the conductor, don't they? The man who opens the doors at the back. The driver doesn't do that. That's done by the... Because I've sat next to them. And they have a man there, and he sort of, you know, leans out of his, his door. He's got a little pole that separates him, so he can walk backwards and forwards. And there's somebody on the platform and holds a bit of plastic up. So it's like a three-person operation to do it. The driver doesn't operate the doors at all. He's got nothing to do with that. He just pulls the train in the station, and then the, uh, the guard at the back pushes the button. Because I've been there. I know what they do. It's like, I don't, it's like on the, uh, the trains out my way. The guard does the messages on the train and he opens the doors. He said, you can see me, I'm, I'll be standing on the platform at each station. So I'd love to know how much they get. They probably don't get very much at all. Uh, 84850, uk. Uh, everything we read out on the programme. Don't miss anything out at all. We don't like to. Uh, if they can lay on an extra 250 buses... Says, uh, says Bill, because of the underground strike, that must mean there are an additional 250 bus drivers that don't normally drive. Yes, I hadn't thought about that bit of it. I just thought buses drove themselves. And so, so surely if they can drive when a strike is on, why can't they drive when it isn't, thus increasing the number of buses at all times? Well, because they don't need that many buses out there. Because normal times, they're being taken by the underground. So if the underground's not working, there's going to be all these extra people on the streets. So that's why you're going to need the extra buses out there. So you don't need them all the time because otherwise you've got too many buses out there, most of which will be travelling empty. On my bus that I got on yesterday, we got on the Penge bus. I mean, people get on. Some, some people just get up on one stop. I'm always amazed at that. Uh, and I do a few stops down to Waterloo. But the bus never runs fully packed unless it gets further down the line a bit packed, but I don't think so. So, I don't know. I mean, the, the majority of buses round our way. I mean, some of our buses that come into Twickenham are very busy and some are really, really empty. I've seen the night bus arrive in Twickenham. One person. So that's been running since Trafalgar Square or Piccadilly, probably with a dozen people on it. And then gradually, as you go a bit further down the line, by the time it gets near the end of it, one person. Is it worth running it? Of course it is. I sometimes see empty buses going backwards and forwards. I don't ever see empty tube trains, though. I remember going down to the tube. We were going off for breakfast one morning and we had to get a tube train from uh, the embankment. It was heaved. By nine o'clock in the morning, it was heaving. It was almost a case of we had to let two trains go through because there was just no room. I've got no intention of sort of piling myself onto a train. Thank you very much indeed. I think the driver should open up the carriage and just say, do you want to come and sit in here? You know, I quite like to sit in the front of a tube train. It's on, the, it's on YouTube. There is, I think, it's a tube train journey. And it takes you through all the tunnels. It's quite exciting, you know, sort of watching it. And you can do it at the London Transport Museum, of which I am a member. And you can go down there and you can, uh, and you can sit where, where a tube driver sits. It's quite good, actually. Uh, Steve picked up a birthday card in Waitrose yesterday at £3.35. Wow. And somebody says, when was the last time you went on the underground? The tube driver opens the door. There are no more guards on the tube. 
No, I don't, I don't think so. No, I think you're wrong. And, uh, and then somebody says they haven't employed guards on the underground since. And then we sort of lost you on that one. It kind of disappeared. Well, that showed, just shows I don't even use it, doesn't it? Perhaps we should close it completely. <laughs> uh, sack all the tube drivers, says Terry. Oh, dear. That's putting it a little bit harshly, isn't it? Coming up, the news at six o'clock this morning on LBC. Travel every 15 minutes. Gordon the Gopher makes a shock beeb return. Sex rat sports star gags the sun. Uh, the couples who are having less sex for fear it'll be a letdown. The grieving granny who's told death does not constitute a refund. She was hoping to get a refund on her partner who died before they went on holiday. And they've said no. Uh, texting and Facebook spelling the N for birthday cards. Uh, Jet Debris is from missing flight MH370. They've been looking in the wrong area. How to be English and decent manners and morals are a thing of the past. All of that... And the three million pound alarm as the charity closes. A little bit harsh, isn't it? Could she not have fundraised elsewhere? All of that and more on LBC this morning. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. It's five past six, Thursday, sixth of August. It's Barbara Windsor's birthday. It's also Tube Strike Day, but as every radio station is telling you, and LBC in particular, for every fifteen minutes. We'll have all the uh, the travel information. Uh, already, there are queues at the bus stops. You just heard Chris telling you about that already, and that's at 6 o'clock in the morning. So the advice that I gave you at 4 o'clock this morning is uh, you can beat the strike quite easily. You just get up a bit earlier and get out there, and you'll do it. We've done it every single time before. I don't see why anybody should take the mickey out of uh, the poor commuter. It's not our, not our battle as far as I'm concerned. Somebody else's battle, yet we're the ones who have to put up with it each and every time. It's so annoying. Dormant for 40 years, a plant has come back to life. It's amazing, this one. In three months, it shot up 30 feet. For 40 years, it never did a thing. It's absolutely hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. We'll run through the uh, the front pages of the uh, the papers for you this morning. Let you know exactly what they're going on. They're still talking about Scylla. Uh, and uh, depending on uh, what you believe, they've either brought her back already... Uh, or she's still out there waiting to be uh, to be brought back. And then they'll organise the funeral and everything else. And I think there'll probably be a, a memorial as well. 84850, steve at uk. Uh, that's the bit I couldn't get rid of. I didn't know how you, how you got rid of that thing. Oh, this, sorry. I'm just trying to lose a page off the internet. I've sort of... I've cli- oh, I clicked onto it. Oh, that's right, thank you. Clicked onto it, and then it sort of went. But then I couldn't get rid of it again. And it's, it's one of these things. I learned to do different things on the computers... Every every day, something will happen, and I'll go, how does that work? How does that work? Uh, Carol's listening to the programme, so good for her. And uh, Arise says, a very good show for a long journey, travelling from Canary Wharf to Ealing Broadway. Oh, that is the worst ever. That is a journey. That is a journey and a half. You're, are you coming back from work? You must be. Nobody lives in... Do people live in Canary Wharf? I don't think they do, do they? It's just sort of one giant sort of office block and things like that. Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Regarding the buses and the extra 250 drivers, surely because they work for TFL, are they not part of the same union? No. No. Peter Nislington said, when was the last time you went on the Tube? Uh, 1963, I think. 1963. <laughs> Who goes on the tube anymore? Not me. I travel free on the tube. I have to be honest. I mean, I don't have to. I don't have to pay to go on the tube, so that's, I suppose, a distinct advantage. But uh, I don't see why why the public should have to be pilloried over this one. You know, anybody who supports the, the, the tube strike, that's their business. It's got nothing to do with the public. We're the ones who are suffering. We're the ones who are having to get into work and back for work again. Whereas, in fact, the grievance is with the management. 
Why don't you go round to the management's houses? Far too easy. Let's disrupt the whole of the British public. Very annoying. And uh, another one here, which says, regarding the buses and the extra charge for these poor bus drivers, surely because they work for TfL, they should, they should be coming out in, in sympathy. Well, I don't know. I don't know how it works. I've got friends who are bus drivers. Strangely enough, I've got nobody who listens to this programme who is, um, who is um, a tube driver. None at all. Loads of bus drivers listen to this programme. Loads of bus drivers who listen to the radio anyway. But nobody drives the tube. I've got normal train drivers, the overground, but I haven't got uh, anything else. They don't work for TfL, by the way, the bus drivers. The private companies run individual routes. Uh, TfL contract their company to run the routes. Okay, so they're not actually sort of part of it. Just thought I'd explain that now. Uh, 84850, uk. Uh, just woke up, I'm having a lovely tea. First half felt, felt better since a horrendous stomach bug, says Daryl. Glad I don't have to use the tube to go to work. Yeah, I mean, so many people have to use the tube. I don't. We don't have the tube out where I am. It goes out to Richmond, but uh, I think I've only ever been out about twice. Only twice. It doesn't, uh, you know, it's so funny, isn't it? Every time you get sort of some, some dispute, people become quite nasty. <laughs> the sun on the front page. Uh, Zane dumped Perry by text. That's the hot showbiz news. And so they've got pictures of her looking a little bit depressed, a little bit, you know, because he's dumped me. Whereas, in fact, he's having a whale of a time. He's out in nightclubs being a normal 22-year-old. And, of course, he's going to be a big pop star, he thinks. I don't think it's going to happen. The sex rat sports star gags the sun. You get these a lot. They're called super injunctions. And it's where somebody who is very famous will, will go to court and they will get a gagging order against a newspaper. There's been some very famous... Very famous uh, injunctions. Um, and they go there. But, of course, you tend to find the Internet is full of who the person is. So you can kind of read it on the Internet before you read about it in the actual newspaper, which was going to run the story in the first place. This is somebody who had a fling. Uh, he was going to be married, his wife-to-be. Apparently, she, she knows about it. They're not allowed to report the affair because it turns out that the person who's had the affair with him has had quite a number of affairs, and she's known as a female celebrity. Why do I get the feeling reality show? Why do I get the feeling somebody a bit tacky? Why do you know? I mean, the, the most famous one years ago was uh, was Ryan Giggs, wasn't it? I remember that one. That was a, a super injunction. There's been some other famous ones as well over the years, but uh, and that was over an affair that he had with Imogen Thomas. That's what I can't bear to mention her. I cannot bear to mention her. Why would somebody want to have an affair with somebody and then go and sell the story to the paper? It makes me feel physically ill. This one's an interesting one because he wasn't married. But he wanted to have an affair, and so he had a fling, and he's got a wife-to-be, but if you're not actually physically married... It's like, as far as I'm concerned, Zane and Perry, you know, they're, they're two children. You know, 22 years old, they bought a mansion. It's a very average house, let me tell you. And, uh, and they were engaged. But that doesn't mean anything nowadays. It doesn't mean anything. The trouble is, perhaps she wanted to get married and settle down, and he's thinking, wait a minute, I'm famous. I was in one direction. I can go and do what I, what I do, which is what he did before. He's always done whatever he wants to do. These people are too immature to settle down. So they'll now have to split up from the house. They'll have to sell the house. And she'll probably have to go back and live with her mum. It's all a a little bit disturbing, isn't it? But uh, I like the idea. The female celebrity who's had many affairs. Do you think she's known to the newspapers? If somebody's had many affairs, they've got to be fairly well known, haven't they? Uh, Doctors may have saved Scylla Black. They say her body lay in the sun for four hours uh, because of her arthritis, and she had fallen down a few times before. Uh, they've also axed a sketch about a sketch about Scylla Black from um, from Tracy Ullman's British TV return. 
because uh, she's a legend. She is an absolute legend. Uh, more on uh, Edward Heath, but not a, not a great deal. I think it's all been sort of put on the back burner a little bit. Uh, also, police under fire. This is a story I heard yesterday on LBC. Uh, after refusing to fully investigate attempted break-ins at houses with odd numbers. Have you ever heard of such a thing? I've never heard of that before in my life. At uh, the front of the Metro today, heartbroken Perry left close to tears. And when they say close to tears, in other words, she wasn't actually crying. She was close to tears. It's, it's a bit ridiculous, isn't it? It's just a relationship. He's been out with a few people before. I'm sure that uh, she's done as well. Anyway, she was given a TV grilling, My Zane Payne. God, why don't these people grow up and get over themselves? It's so tedious. It's not very exciting at all, is it? I mean, if, if it was, I could understand it, but it's not. Uh, another one here. Uh, commuters reacting with fury at the strikers with 52 days holiday. That's gone up since we read the mail. This is from the, uh, the Metro this morning. Perhaps people, people will be writing in. Perhaps drivers will be writing into the Metro going, it's absolutely outrageous. We don't get 52 days holiday a year. I can't remember how much holiday I get. I think I, I, I can't remember what it is, actually. It's built into a contract, but I've got no idea. No idea how much... Ho- I don't take it. Not remotely bothered about holiday. I don't think the uni would be much good for me, I'm afraid. They'd be sort of saying, you need to go on holiday. And you'd be going, I don't think so. No. A lot of people in this business don't, don't tend to meet uh, holiday requirements. I can't think of any... Why would you want to go on holiday? They go on holiday to rest. I come into work for a rest. I don't, I don't need to go on holiday to sort of... Unless I'm going to sit on a beach, and I don't do sitting on a beach either. I think my computer's frozen now. <laughs> I just tried to refresh something, and it's, uh, it's frozen on me. I did mention Giles Brandreth and his, uh, his wordplay book. He's a very, very clever man, you know. Very, very clever man, Giles. I didn't know that he'd actually appeared as Lady Bracknell. I'd know it, but I think he'd actually be quite, uh, quite good. It's frozen be quite good at it, but he's had two volumes of diaries. He's also featured on No End of Programmes. His novels include six Victorian murder mysteries. Can you believe it? He's that good. Three children, six grandchildren, and a cat called Portia. And he also had a a one-man show, 2015, called Word Power, and he's done that on tour. And this book, if you like words and you like the language, you'll absolutely love this book. This must be a labour of love. A labour of love for him. It's called Wordplay. The cornucopia of puns, anagrams and other curiosities of the English language. Which is, which is quite wonderful. But he's so clever, I could never entertain anything like that. I could never manage to do a book like that. I could never manage to... Uh, I don't know where you begin with it, but apparently his house is just full of dictionaries. Full of dictionaries. He's got loads of dictionaries. And, um, and that's what he obviously reads a lot of the time. Bless his heart. Which is good. And uh, somebody says here, the tube strike. I'm surprised all the extra volume that they haven't brought in. The bendy buses, says CJ. God, I'd forgotten about the bendy buses. Didn't we just get rid of them? Did we, did we not get rid of the bend? They sold them to Sweden. <laughs> the bendy buses. <laughs> they were. I, I went on one of those once. And uh, another one here, uh, very quickly, who says guards haven't been used on either the Northern, Metropolitan, Bakerloo. We have all these tube lines, do we? These are all there. What, Bakerloo, Piccadilly, Northern Metropolitan? Apparently doors get operated by a computer. As for the 250 extra buses, most of those are driven by preservationists. Wow, sounds lovely. But uh, So no guards. Small wonder I don't do the tube, ladies and gentlemen. Even as I say, I get free travel on it. Quarter past six. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. 21 minutes uh, past six, so already queues at the bus stop, which is what we predicted yesterday on the programme, and we uh, and we predicted today as well that there would be queues. I didn't think they'd be here uh, this early. 
but uh, but they are. So the idea is leave now. Leave now. It would make it so much easier. Uh, 84850, steve at Um Front pages of the papers. The front of the Express today. Time to stop the migrant madness. There seems to be thousands and thousands. Of... Countries appear to be emptying out or wanting to come here for some reason. Can't imagine why. There's a tube strike. The simple diet to keep your brain young, and you can have a glass of wine a day. Can you imagine? Just one. And Scylla, the tragedy of her final hours... Uh, lying in the sunshine, but uh, nevertheless, you know, we, uh, we've we mourned her passing for a few days now. Uh, they've run that on the uh, the mirror as well. A lot of people saying that had she been found sooner, the doctors might have been able to save her, but she wasn't, so the tragedy was that the heat contributed to her death. They say she may have lived if she'd been found a little bit earlier, but uh, that was not to be. Uh, front page of the Telegraph, Tories put the squeeze on the union cash. Fees will no longer automatically come from the wages of the public sector workers. The charity that folded, this is Kids Company, really bizarre that they withhold this money. They've just given it £3 million. And the woman who set it up then just writes closing. Without a buy your leave or anything, just closing it down, the government are now going, I think we need the money back. You only had it a few days ago. In fact, I think it was almost like two days ago they handed over three million pounds. I have a sneaky... I mean, I, just, I want to know more about her. I want to know more about her. We know she wears these very bright-coloured clothes. We know she's Iranian. And I want to know where she lives. I want to know what her lifestyle is. I want to know... Does she have a partner? We know nothing about her at all. Apart from the fact she was economical with the truth when it came to her qualifications of where she thought she got them from. And people sort of said, no, I don't think you did. But I want to know more about her. I mean, there are now all these allegations, the recriminations, and she just closed it down. But as always, a big smug smile on her face. And I don't quite understand. I mean, she's been given so many awards. I mean, she's a, an honorary fellow of UCL. Uh, she's been named one of the most hundred most powerful people. She's had uh, an honorary commander of the Order of the British Empire, of CBE, for services to children. And we know nothing about the charity. We just know that it's swallowed up like £38 million of our money. Of our money. That's the only thing I query. And every time, her smug face sitting there. I want to know more. I want to know why she decided, all of a sudden. I mean, she's so... She's so... I mean, most of the papers are questioning the same thing and saying, but wait a minute. So all of a sudden, you go, you've taken away my money. Well, that's it. I'm closing it down. Closing it down. What do we know about her? Nothing. She was born in Tehran. Educated in uh, Warwick. We don't know if she's got a boyfriend. We don't know. We don't know anything about her. We have no idea... No ideas. So little we know about somebody who's taken so much money. Does she have a big house? Does she live in a council flat? What is she, I don't know. I know nothing about her at all, apart from the image on the television where she sits there with that smug look on her face, which now has been wiped off because she's obviously decided to wind the company up, thus making 36,000 children have to go elsewhere, if indeed it is 36,000 children, as I'm not too sure what's the truth nowadays and what isn't. I'm as confused as the rest of the world. Uh, front page of the, uh, of the Times... Dementia victims apparently are getting younger. And uh, Benedict Cumberbatch making his debut as Hamlet. And the fans are out in uh, in droves. They, they, I've seen them queuing for these things. I mean, I've seen people queuing for these shows. And they go, got to go see Benedict Cumberbatch. What, did, what was he famous for? Was he did, Sherlock? And that was purely based on Sherlock, that they're queuing at the Barbican. I mean, to be honest with you, I love it when people queue for the theatre. I love it when people queue for the theatre, because I think that's great. But it's almost like they've built up this hysteria. 
He was Sherlock, and so they're, they're literally sitting outside the Barbican, waiting for the box office to open. Uh, they've put in place a system whereby you won't be able to buy tickets off touts and get in because they're going to want to see proof of identity that you've got the ticket. It's really, it's the first time I think it's ever been done there. I can't think of it. He must be delighted. But, of course, he'll be on the same amount of money, whether it's sold out or whether they've got three people in. Uh, Cameron accused as troubled charity fails... Uh, David Cameron, they say, was mesmerised by its charismatic founder. Yeah, I think everybody was. She sat there with a smile on her face as if to say, I've got so many awards and you don't know what the hell I do. (laughs) I don't know what she does. I just know that at the last minute they approved this three million pounds and then she closes it down. So can we have the money back, please? Do they have any money in their coffers? Where is it gone? That's it for this morning. Uh, Don't forget... We have uh, travel every 15 minutes on LBC, so we can get you through this one. There's lots of um, lots of things which are taking place on The Breakfast Show this morning. I think they'll be chatting to Christian Woolmer, all about transport, Boris Johnson and uh, Sir Bernard Hogan, how you can talk to as well. So that's all at 7 o'clock this morning. Uh, you will get there, it just means that it's gonna, probably going to take you a bit longer. I can't wait to see how many people are queuing at my bus stop this morning. I shall let you know, actually. I shall tweet and go, there's nobody at my bus stop. <laughs> they're all coming into town people trying to get out as uh, as quick as possible uh, if you go to the LBC website lbc.co.uk you will find on there the uh, the details of how you can get through all the travel and how you can download the LBC app the LBC app is uh, designed so that you can listen to LBC wherever you are it doesn't matter whether you're around the world or you're in this country it's free to download and it works for iPhones and Android phones as well. Have a great day. I think uh, weather-wise, we're, uh, we're OK. We're not doing too bad today. And uh, you will be standing and you will be waiting, but just be patient. At seven, Ian Dale in for Nick Ferrari at breakfast. Coming up next, though, Lisa Aziz with the morning news. This is LBC.